This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, To the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot, the poopa of prognostication, the IPP MVP, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, dear listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. Another week of the best fantasy hockey news, insight, analysis, the holy trinity of what you need to get on top of your fantasy pool. Also, for those who weren't listening to the very, very end of the last episode, we're so excited to share this big announcement coming up. We said, last week we said that you're going to get more Keeping Carlson content in your feeds every week starting this week. It's going to it's gonna happen. The details forthcoming, right? Elon, you want to withhold them so people have a reason to keep listening. Yeah, because otherwise I'm worried people will just turn off. They just signed in <laughs> just for the announcement. But no, stick around. In around an hour or so, we're going to have a special guest to help uh, give our announcement. I guess Brian's given away like half the announcement, but you don't know who it is or what it is. And and you'll find out, of course, Brian. So, so what is our holy trinity here? I didn't even know we had a trinity of things. Analysis? What, what else News is News and insight. At least two of those things are synonyms, though. Okay, well, another place where you could get news analysis and insight is on the website that is presenting this podcast, which is DauberHockey.com. It's your resource for everything fantasy hockey. You've got articles every day, the daily ramblings. On Sundays, you've got the 21 fantasy hockey rambles, so just a full debrief on a bunch of stuff going on. You've also got great articles, including a Geek of the Week article from our friend Ben Burnett that dropped today, Should We Reach for the Stars, where he looked into all the Dallas Stars and tried to project how they'll do for the rest of the year. Uh, spoiler... Not looking great. Uh, Brian and I will actually get into them a little bit later on this show. So that's DauberHockey.com. You obviously want to check them out all the time. Plus, you got the starting goalies at Goalie Post. You've got all the line combinations of frozen tools, everything you need. But okay, Brian, with that, let's get to our content for this week. I want to start with some injuries and outjuries. And just like last week, let's start with the good news before we get to some really uh, bad news. Uh, some players returned after being out for a while, including Vincent Trocek on the Florida Panthers. He returned for the Panthers yesterday after missing seven games with a lower body injury. He also played today versus the Rangers. Uh, hasn't been the most exciting return for Trocek, unfortunately. Uh, in the 2-1 loss to the Islanders yesterday, no points, 
no shots, no hits, only 15 and a half minutes of ice time. He's usually around 19 minutes. Maybe he was just getting eased in. But then I looked into how things went today. And it, first of all, the Panthers won 6-5 to five over the Rangers in the shootout. So I was thinking, all right, this is going to be a great chance for Trocek to get some points. Nope, no goals, no assists, minus two, three shots. He was playing on the third line with Vitrano and Malgin. I was thinking maybe, oh, Trocek's back. Maybe that's going to help Hoffman. Well, they're not even playing together. So I don't know. Uh, so now, uh, you know, we look forward and Brian what are we going to do with Vincent Trocek here he's someone that you know two years ago he had 70 plus points last year was a down year we were hoping this year would represent a bounce back for him he's currently at six points in nine games so not so bad but like what do you expect going forward and are you nervous about the fact that he's currently on the third line is he still just getting eased in Elon you said Vincent Trocek had no goals today on Sunday November 10th However, you're ignoring the game-winning shootout goal Ah. scored by Vincent Trocek. So, I mean, he's off the shootout schneid at least, but I know it's not going to count towards pretty much anyone's fantasy pools, but we should talk about that sometime. In the meantime, we need to talk about his actual real-life first 60 to 65 minutes production. And there were two reasons why I liked Vincent Trocek's production this season to bounce back to about 60 points after that disappointment. 51 point pace in 1819. And both of these two reasons were underpinned by the premise that Trocek's numbers under the hood still looked pretty good. Like, not quite 75 point season good, but still good. Okay, so the first reason that I thought Trocek could bounce back this year was that his on ice shooting percentage was down below 7% last year. And I figured he should have one that's higher. Mind you, it wasn't so markedly different from any of the two years prior, but I thought he deserved some better on ice puck luck at five on five. So checking in on that so far this year. His on-ice shooting percentage at 5-on-5, just over 7%. So not a whole lot better, still struggling there. I say struggling, even though it's not necessarily his fault or doing that his team isn't shooting well with him on the ice. Anyway, the second reason that I thought Trojak could bounce back was his own 5-on-5 shooting percentage was low in 1819. I also, though, did point out in our almanac that we can't be sure when Trocek's shooting percentage is going to improve or what we can expect from it, because there's zero discernible pattern from Trocek's career shooting percentage history at five on five. These are his five on five shooting percentages by season, beginning with his first full one in the NHL in 1415. He went from seven and a half percent to 15 and a half to 10 to five to five. So far this year, Trocek is shooting 0% at five on five. He has nothing on 16 even strength shots that was going into today's game versus New York. So while Trocek continues to keep up good shot rates, the percentages still aren't coming. And it's really too soon to say whether Trocek is just never going to get those percentages or that this is just a 10 game blip of bad variance to start the year for him. What we have learned early on is that Trocek is not likely to get top power play time. So 60 points should be considered to be about his ceiling without it. Also, uh, for anyone who drafted him in multi-category leagues, it's like, yeah, he fills them all. Uh, He's filling them a little less. He's hitting at a lesser rate. He's even taking fewer face-offs. So Trocek taking a hit all around in his numbers. It's a very rough start for Trocek and anyone who owns him and is counting on him to fill really any categories the way he has on the past. My question to you, Elon, is you mentioned he's online three with Vitrano and Malgin. 
I almost wonder if he's on like line 2B. I see a Trocek Vitrano line very close to being a second line, perhaps closer or about as much of a second line as a line with Hoffman, Boyle, and Connolly. Hmm. So like I'd say Hoffman and Trocek are the two second liners out of these six players playing in the Panthers middle six. And it's a shame they're playing apart. Hopefully it doesn't last for too much longer. Yeah, well, especially since Mike Hoffman is pretty cold himself. Like, yeah, he got an assist today, which is nice. But overall, yeah, anyone who drafted him, he only had two points in his last 10 games going into today, and both of them on the power play. So at even strength, Hoffman is doing nothing. I was hoping maybe having Trocek back would help him. What are we going to do about Hoffman at this point? Like, Trocek, okay, you say he's around a 60-point guy. Maybe he has some value due to those peripherals. By the way, though, if, Brian, you're saying that those peripherals are also down and he's maybe 60-point ceiling, could be a good sell-high time for Trocek. That's sort of reading between the lines of what you're saying. If some people are thinking of him as this multi-category stud, maybe uh, I'd be curious to see what you could get for him. As far as Mike Hoffman goes, we've been getting tweets asking if he could potentially be dropped. Like we had a tweet from at dude with a K asking if he should drop Ben or Hoffman to add Ryan Strom or Tom Wilson in his 10-man non-bangers league. So even if Hoffman was getting hits, it wouldn't be helping at dude with a K. Uh, We'll get to Ben in a bit, but where would you stand right now in giving up on Hoffman for a hot hand in a great spot like Ryan Strom or Tom Wilson. Both of Hoffman's minutes and his shot on goal rates have taken a tumble since Joel Quenville came to town, similar to the way that Vincent Trocek has lost some of the sheen, some of the stuff that fueled his good numbers and good category fillers. Same thing has happened to Mike Hoffman. He's attempting about 25% fewer shots per 60 minutes at five on five, which is sad to see from a guy we've been able to count on for 250 plus shots on goal the last couple of years. The good news is that Hoffman is still firing a lot of pucks on net on the power play to help offset the loss at five on five. But having both would be nice. Doesn't feel like too much to ask. Also at five on five, the shots that Hoffman is taking are not as dangerous. His expected goals rates have dropped by 40% over the last several years. So that is bad news for Hoffman when he is taking shots. They're not as likely to go in. Uh, You know, Hoffman is actually kind of down across the board. High danger chances, scoring chances. It's all pretty bleak. Thank goodness Hoffman is still entrenched on the top power play, though even there, he is not at all on pace to repeat his 35 power play points from last year, looking more likely to land at 25 points, which to anyone who listened to our almanac won't come as a surprise. The Panthers overperformed on the power play last season. We expected some come down there for everybody. But going back to Mike Hoffman specifically, I think we're looking at maybe a 55 point player, maybe 225 shots, which to answer at dude with a case question, still preferable to Ryan Strom and Tom Wilson in my books, especially if you're not counting Wilson's hits and pretty close to Jamie Benn. Brian, honestly, I disagree. Like, Ryan Strom is on fire right now. Another two assists today. What are you holding on to Hoffman for if he's not a high upside guy? If you're saying he's like a 55-point guy, you're playing fantasy hockey here. You can't just sit on boring players. You ride a hot hand, and then if Ryan Strom slows down, he'll probably... It's a 10-man league. He's going to have someone else. Like, the fact that Strom and Wilson are in free agency tells me that you're going to have Hoffman probably in free agency until he heats up. So why would we tell him not to pick up Strom if you're saying Hoffman doesn't have a great ceiling? I don't know that's the case. And when I drop Hoffman and add Strom, and then Zabanejad comes back and Strom gets bumped to the second line just hypothetically and Hoffman's gone I'm in trouble I've made no. a mistake instead you of just Tom waiting. Wilson so how many points do you think Ryan Strom is going to get this year like how much above 55 points how high can he go 
So again, Brian, I don't think the same way as you, I guess, because I'm not thinking about the season, right? I'm thinking yeah. about for the foreseeable future, and then I'll worry about after that, after that. Right now, Strom and Panarin are clicking. Don't forget, when Zabanajad, like before he got hurt, Strom was already playing with Panarin. I'm not saying that's a lock that they're going to stick together all year, but it's working well. Uh, to me, it's an easy drop. Like I was, if you were going to say Mike Hoffman still could get up to 70 points, still could be like a 35 plus goal guy, that would be one thing. But it sounds like you're saying bleak, bleak, bleak across the board. So maybe, you know, we look at the same data, we come to different conclusions. We're different fantasy players, and that's why uh, it's good that we're both here, right? You're more of a hold on and wait, and I'm more of a let's get moving here. Ryan Strom shouldn't be a free agent. Mike Hoffman, eh. I don't know, not too exciting at the moment, especially if he's not even playing with Trocek. He's playing with, so so who are, like I said that Trocek was playing with Vetrano and Malgan. That leaves Hoffman today with Connolly and Brian Boyle? Nah. Nah. Okay. Also on the power play, it seems like one of these power plays where every single time I see that Florida scores a power play goal, it's some combination of Dadanov from Barkov or Huberdeau, you know, and maybe Yandel's in there sometimes. So, eh, I don't know. I'm not too excited. Though, by the way, oh yeah, sorry. Brian, please respond. Oh, no, I just want to say that I, I hope Hoffman and Trocek are reunited at some point. I know, like, we don't like either of them on their lines, right? Neither of them seem to have optimal deployment, which is kind of a shame. So let's let's get the band back together <laughs> and see some production from both of them playing together. Clearly, what we're seeing right now is not a sudden decline in any of these players' skills. Like, we're definitely seeing some very clear effects of a new coach who is seemingly very confident in putting some new systems in place and having players do things differently than they have in the past. And of course, like whenever someone asks about the impact a new coach has on a team, we're seeing it before our eyes here in Florida. Yeah, definitely. And hey, they won today, so maybe things will stick for at least the next game. But also, they won 6-5 over the Rangers. They're probably hoping that they could be a bit stronger of a team if they're hoping to get into the playoffs. Those Okay, since we are on Florida, before we move from them, we got to give some credit. We got to give a shout out to that amazing top line and power play trio of Barkov, Huberdo, and Dadanov. Barkov's power play goal yesterday, along with his nine shots, brought him to seven points in his last four games, 20 points in 16 games on the season. That was going into today. Barkov had another goal and an assist today. So this guy is on fire. He was on a 103-point pace going into today. It's probably about the same, or no, it must be even higher now since he had two points. Uh, Brian, if you recall, in the Almanac that we did over the summer, projecting every single player, I decided to take a swing. I projected Barkov for 100 points. You thought it was too big of a swing. You put him at 90. If you had the option at this point to change it, and you, you could just pretend like nothing happened before, this is the future moving forward, what would you say? Would you still stick to 90? Because, yeah, obviously, he's not going to be this good, or, or maybe that's not the case. Maybe he will be this good. Like, Barkov's freaking amazing. I went with 90 for Barkov because I was concerned about what I just mentioned a couple minutes ago, how Florida overperformed on the power play last season, how they wouldn't be able to repeat it, which would eat into Barkov's total points. But he's taken that power play regression in stride by just posting even better numbers at five on five that look pretty sustainable. So yes, Elon, when I once thought that Barkov, you know, would just have to progress normally to get to 90 points in the face of losing those power play points he has progressed uh, like he's made improvements upon improvements upon improvements and i am on the 100 point barkov train now i figured he'd step his game up i just didn't know he would buy this much so yay barkov I'm in. 100 points. All right. So now I should go up to 105, so I can stay ahead of you. But no, I'll stick with 100. I, I, we don't have the option anyways. Uh, then you got Huberdeau, by the way. 20 points in 16 games also going into today. He had an assist. Uh, we both projected him for 76. I can't believe we're going to blow it on Huberdeau two years in a row. Hopefully we'll learn. Maybe we'll project him correctly next year. 
Well, we have an excuse for 1819 because the Vincent Trocek entry led to Huberto playing so much with Barkov, which we definitely did not see coming. And now this year, Huberto's still on the top line, which we did allow for and figured he could get 80 points there. But Huberto is outperforming even that number, thanks to scoring on nearly a quarter of his five on five shots, seven goals on 30 shots at five on five. And that's thanks in part to Barkov's excellent creating, but also not in part to any more dangerous opportunities that Huberto has had. His expected goals have not risen. So uh, Huberto actually looks to me like a sell high. Elon, would you dare sell high on Jonathan Huberto playing with Alex Barkov? He's on a 96-point pace. I still have him closer to 80 points than 90 points the rest of the season. Well, I mean, you ask me a question, but you don't have any meat to it, Brian. Like, when you say sell high, like, sure. Yeah, trade him for Connor McDavid if you can. Like, give me a name, and then I'll give you an answer. Obviously, okay. yeah. Would you sell Jonathan Huberto at a 96-point pace for, let's say, Artemi Panarin, who we expect to be 80, 85 points? Yeah, I think I would take Panarin. He's also doing fantastically. And also, I feel like he's the guy who, no matter who he's playing with, he's going to produce. There's always that small chance, though it seems smaller and smaller by the day, that Huberto could be split from Barkov. And who knows what that would mean. Also, you know, sometimes there could be an injury that affects, you know, like uh, Jake Gensel right now is on the Penguins. And now Sidney Crosby's injured. Who knows? Maybe that's going to affect Gensel. I just feel like Panarin, no matter who gets injured, no matter what happens, Panarin's a guy I could rely on. So yeah, I'll take Panarin over Huberto, but that's who I'd be kind of looking for. And I don't know if you're going to be able to get Panarin for Huber just because Panarin's just as hot. Uh, anyway, Brian, let's go now to the team that Florida beat yesterday. They also saw a player return. Jordan Eberle played his first game since October 12th. He got propelled right to the top line to play with Barzal and Anders Lee. Just like Trocek, Eberle had no points in his return, but his stat line looked a lot better than Trocek's. He had four shots. He was plus one. Of course, with Eberle jumping to the top line, the big loser there was Josh Bailey, who got bumped all the way down to the third line to play with Cal Clutterbuck and Michael Dalcole. If you recall, Brian, we talked about Derek Broussard's nice run on the second line with Beauvillier and Nelson a couple weeks ago. One of the main reasons we suggested it wouldn't last was because we assumed he would get bumped when Eberly returned. But nope, so far, Bailey's the fall guy. Everyone else is sticking the same. So I'd love to get an updated fantasy take from you on these three guys in terms of if you think they'll be relevant for the next little while, who you'd want most. So I'm talking about first, Jordan Eberly, who has three points in six games now, only a 39-point pace last year. But now he's on line one, which is great. Uh, then we have Josh Bailey, who after a fantastic start to the season, he's now pointless in two games. We've got to assume his current 62-point pace will continue to fall as long as he's out of the top six. Bailey's currently 94% owned in the Cacuffle, which, by the way, let me just take a step back here. You know, I know all of you are on your in your different Yahoo leagues and you look at the percentage-owned numbers. I'm going to propose to you that your percentage-owned numbers aren't worth that much because those include a bunch of clown leagues in different formats. The Cacuffle, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, this is an 18-division mega league with all of the best fantasy hockey players, the patrons of Keeping Carlson, and we've got an amazing patron named Marcus Callanan who has been putting together a stat attack PDF every week, breaking down all the stats in the Cacuffle, and one of the things that he includes are the percentage-owned numbers for the couple. So I'm going to be referencing these numbers actually throughout the show. So anyways, all that to say, Bailey still owned in the majority of couple divisions, but I wonder if maybe he should be dropped in a lot of those divisions now that he's on the third line. Then we have Derek Broussard, who had an assist yesterday, which ended a two-game pointless streak, which ended that four-game goal streak that we were excited about. He's a former 60-point guy, seeing his first relevant role in a while in his age 32 season. So yeah, Brian... Eberly, Bailey, Brassard, are any of these guys worthy of owning in the majority of fantasy leagues? And yeah, who do you think is the best? 
You know, I obviously want to say Everly. He's a guy who I've always mentioned as being someone who I think the upside is still there, just needs to be unlocked. But to be unlocked, Everly needs someone to set up to get big fantasy relevance. We know Barzal isn't necessarily a finisher. Everly had Anders Lee sometimes last year, but was not having a great year himself. And Everly also suffered with the rest of the Islanders on a very bad top power play that functioned maybe like a second power play unit, if not worse than that. The Isles power play still not looking quite like they figured things out yet, which does hurt Everly's value. They're converting at a rate below league average, but I take a flyer on Eberly as a depth piece with upside. I almost see him as like a future Zach Parisi. Once everyone's given up on him, he's going to suddenly unlock uh, whatever potential's just been hiding in there in the right place at the right time and go bananas. I think he's still got it in him. I'm not sure we'll see it this year, but hey, he's in the right place, at least the best place he could be while in Long Island. As for Josh Bailey, Elon, you mentioned he's pointless in two games. Would you say that about, like, is that a streak even to be pointless mm-hmm. in two games? Well, it's just like, I'm just pointing it out that now that he's off the top line, he's not getting points. But yeah, it's only been a couple games. I'm worried about him. Yeah, I hear you. And and so you should be. So should all his owners be. He seems like someone who you don't want if he's not playing uh, at least anywhere in the top six. We've talked about Jordan Eberle being assist reliant. Josh Bailey is even more so. And he's not going to get uh, Cal Clutterbuck or Michael Dal Cole to cash in a whole lot on whatever opportunities that Josh Bailey is able to create with those two on his line. So uh, not a great outlook for Bailey at the moment. Still on the top power play in the last game the Islanders played. Uh, and then Derek Broussard, uh, you also mentioned like he's on a two-game pointless streak. I'll, I'll, let, it, I'll let it go. Uh, my thoughts on Broussard have not changed from last week, though. He's a decent bit player. A guy you might want to stream in when the Islanders have a good schedule, but I would not be expecting continued or consistent scoring from him. Even if he does stay in top six, a lot of his recent scoring came from goals, which came on a too small number of shots. So uh, that won't continue for Derek Broussard. He's probably, like, he's playing with Brock Nelson and Anthony Beauvillier. I'd say he's about as reliable for scoring as the latter. Anthony Beauvillier were just like, come on. Like, one day you're going to do something when you're getting enough minutes with the right people. And he's had those opportunities. But he generally fails, too. So that's how I see Derek Broussard's value as well. Okay, that, that's fair. So it kind of sounds like you're saying, obviously, Barzal, Anders Lee, you want to have in your, like, owned in your fantasy leagues. And then next, you, you would say Jordan Eberly. And then right now, maybe you could start letting go of Josh Bailey. Because yeah, he's not helping you in any other category if he's not getting you those assists. And he's going to get a lot fewer assists while he's not playing with Barzal. Obviously, you'll want to follow at game day lines. It'll uh, keep you updated if the Islanders shake things up and then Bailey gets back in the top six. Though, why would they? The Islanders are doing fantastically. They keep winning. And by the way, if he's listening, I just want to tell something to Tomas Grice, Tomas, Grice, I love you. You're the best. I've got Grice in three leagues now and his seven wins in nine games and a 942 save percentage. It's a thing of beauty. Even if Grice continues to play every second game all year long, honestly, that is just fine to me. Like, it's he's been one of the most viable guys on any of my fantasy teams, even with only the 50% games played. By the way, Semyon Varlamov's 924 save percentage in eight games, not too shabby as well. Both are, of course, 100% owned in the couple. So just wanted to give a quick shout out to Thomas Grice having a career year. Can't wait to see if he can keep it up. Loyal Keeping Carlson listeners are not surprised. What did we tell you about Tomas Grice? Barry Trotz teams protect their goalies, and that, combined with Grice being really good in his own right, means he's going to put up great numbers when he does start. He's been doing this for a while now. It seems like people, some people, 
are just starting to take notice. Elon, this might be the first time you've owned Grice, which is why you're the most excited about him at the moment. Uh, and Varlamov, by the way, actually having a good year or two over and above his expected numbers with the excellent five-on-five protection he's been getting. The Islanders tandem, Elon, hot take, or maybe not that hot. One of the best tandems to own in <laughs> fantasy hockey. The only other two that I can think of that are as reliable, like start either guy anytime, uh, would be Boston with Raskin Halak. And I think Chicago's tandem between Laner and Crawford. Crawford has had a very solid two games now. And uh, Chicago gives up a lot of shots, which is great for those guys uh, if your league count saves. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to consider the Chicago guys in the same breath as the Islanders guys, but yeah, they're definitely good. Brian, you've also left out the Vancouver guys. Markstrom and Demko have been so good, though I know that they've lost a couple in a row, though, so I'm not not too worried about them. Uh, So let's go now to another outjury. Victor Hedman returned to the Lightning for the Stockholm series versus Buffalo, and Hedman was in fine form. A power play this on Friday, a power play goal on Saturday. So he's great. Nothing to say about him that you guys don't already know. At the time that Hedman got injured, though, Brian, if you recall, I asked you if you'd prefer Sergachev or Shattenkirk moving forward. It was Sergachev getting the top power play, but Shattenkirk was the one producing. If I recall correctly, you said Sergachev, Eileen Shattenkirk. Fast forward to today, Sergachev only has two assists in his last 10 games, while Kevin Shattenkirk continues to roll with his three assists in Stockholm, having brought him to 13 points in 15 games on the season. At this point, I feel like the Shattenkirk versus Sergachev question has got to be a slam dunk for Shattenkirk. And furthermore, I want to ask you, can we just call Mikhail Sergachev a straight-up snoozer at this point? He is owned in 100% of a couple divisions, all 18 divisions, but I feel like I wouldn't be jumping on him if he were dropped in Tier 1. Would I be crazy not to add him? Because I guess, obviously, there's at least someone in each division who likes him, but I don't really see why. If Sergachev isn't getting the top power play time because Hedman is back, then no, I don't see a whole lot of reason to go out and get him. I think there's good upside. He's sort of like a Justin Schultz type, right? It's like, okay, here's a guy who might produce some offense on his own because his team is so offensively talented, and he might get an occasional turn on the top power play uh, if they want to add him there or there's an injury. So that's Sergachev's appeal, but... If I could choose between Sergachev and Shattenkirk right now, uh, Shattenkirk is probably going to be the guy. And I am still pretty surprised about how well Shattenkirk is doing. We said at the start of the year how he's only ever been powered by huge power play production. And Shattenkirk has been underwhelming. And that's even a compliment about his uh, talent as a five-on-five producer throughout his career. And I guess uh, Kevin Shattenkirk heard us because now he's producing five-on-five points at a rate that's essentially twice as high as anything he's put up before. Now, keep in mind, there are some uh, reasons for that, we'll call them. He's got a 9% shooting percentage at 5-on-5 versus his career rate of 4%. uh, So he's scoring on twice as many goals as he should at 5-on-5, twice as many shots as he should, rather. Uh, He has a 60% IPP versus usually only getting in on 45% of the goals his team scores. And his on-ice shooting percentage is above 10%, though on Tampa, that's actually not so unreasonable. So that could hold. Last week, I acquiesced and said Shattenkirk could have a better shot at a 40-point pace than I'd originally thought going into the season, and I'll stand by that, but I'm still not going to go any further if you push me, which I'm not sure you have. You just brought him up, like, versus Sergachev, and I'm like, yeah, I'll get on board with Shattenkirk, but if you own Shattenkirk, you shouldn't be like, oh man, I really struck it rich with this guy. You should be like, hey, 
I have someone who's on a 71-point pace who has some kind of career track record of being not so far from this neighborhood. And maybe someone out there is really going to buy in and think this is for real. I'm going to sell high. That is what you need to do. I would honestly sell them for any 45, like 40, 45-point defenseman. Okay, you got a, got a name you want to throw out there to the Shattenkirk owners of who they should be targeting in a trade? Do they go for, I guess, Tory Krug? That's an obvious one. I'm trying to think of someone who's slumping. I But John Klingberg, I'm not so into. L- throw a name out for me. Um, just looking, I mean, Yandel went on a run recently. He's up to nine points in 16 games, but I wonder if you could make a play for yeah. him. I was also thinking like Seth Jones or Zach Orensky or Matt Dumba, one of mm. those guys. Yeah, interesting. I'd have to think more about some of them, like Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski in Columbus. Not the most exciting situation. I wonder if you just hold Shattenkirk, because you say, yeah, he's on a 71-point pace. You're giving lots of reasons why he won't continue that, but like this conversation we always have, right? So yeah, bring down his numbers a little bit. That could still leave him at around a 45, 50-point pace, which no is way. just... Uh, okay. No way. No chance. 40-point pace, best case, rest of wow. season. So do you want to do a bet right now? Is he going to be plus or minus 40 points? Okay. All right, I'll take the over. You mean like starting today? Sure, starting today. Okay, under, please. Okay, someone please write that down. And then while we're in Tampa, Brian, I want to bring up a couple players who are doing fine, but are like very far off the amazing paces we were expecting from them going into the season. Let's start with Nikita Kucherov, who also had a goal and an assist in the two Stockholm games, but that's got to be a big letdown for his owners, even with two points in two games. Last year, Kucherov paced for 128 points. We both projected him for 115 points in the Almanac. Right now, Kucherov sits at 13 points in 15 games, which is a 71 point pace same as Shattenkirk that's 44 points short of our projection do you expect Kucherov to start putting up those monster numbers from last year again soon to start a pro- like we need to see like three points every two games right or are you seeing anything to indicate that this season may not end up being as crazy as the last couple for Kucherov so for reference you mentioned Kucherov has 13 points in 15 games so far that's a 71 point pace I don't need to repeat what you said uh, for reference last season Kucherov had four more points at this point of the season. He had 17 points in 15 games. 13 points in 15 is still good, of course, but it's not the uh, great that we want from Nikita Kucherov. And normally, this is where I would say, Elon, you know me. What do you think I'm going to say? You're going to say that he's having bad luck and you expect him to do better moving forward? Yeah, I'd say stay the course. Don't worry. He's elite. He'll get up to last year's totals. We don't need to bail after 15 games, but... I'm actually not going to say that this time. I'm a little legitimately concerned about Nikita Kucherov's numbers, and I did not expect to be saying this myself until I started looking into it, because there are several signs in Kucherov's five-on-five numbers that he is not going to repeat last year's numbers. His own expected goals rates down 25%. His shot and shot attempt rates down 30%. Kucherov's putting up fewer high-danger scoring chances and just scoring chances, period. Also, while he's on the ice, there are fewer on-ice shot attempts happening per 60 minutes. And then you look at Kucherov on the power play, he's less threatening in his own shot totals, and his shooting percentage has regressed hard from 20% to 10%. It probably belongs somewhere in between, maybe even closer to 20%, but he's having a hard time there. So now we're like, what? What the heck, Nikita Kucherov? You're supposed to be a slam dunk. Nobody does what they did like what you did last season and then follows it up with a dud? Is it weird if I wonder, Elon, about the effects of Nikita Kucherov, like this all happening, being an effect of him not playing as much with Tyler Johnson 
this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that too far reached? Tyler Johnson was Kucherov's second most frequent line mate last season, but they've barely played together this year. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons that Tampa is seeming to have more trouble generating shots for and chances with Kucherov on the ice. My only other theory is that Braden Point, Kucherov's most frequent line mate last year and second most frequent line mate so far this year, still not at 100% after that offseason injury situation he had. I guess a third theory is that Steven Stamkos, and this has been a hockey hipster take for a while, is a bit of a drag. And he's Kucherov's most common line mate this year, and that's affecting Kucherov's numbers. Either way, I'm not sure what theory to to subscribe to, but it's not looking like last year in Kucherov's underlying numbers. And I don't know that that's something that's going to correct. I do think his low five on five on ice shooting percentage is going to correct as well as his IPP in all situations to help get him to like at least a 90 point pace. That's a crazy thing to be saying, though, isn't it? That a 90-point pace might be disappointing for Nikita Kucherov. And also that, like, we hope he can get to 90. I guess the thing you could say is that whatever Tampa did with him last year, it got him really great numbers, but it got them swept out of the first round. So I wonder if there's been a system shift to try and head off another playoff catastrophe, and it's come at the cost of Kucherov's production. I'm just floating it out there. I wouldn't like, so like the, the question you obviously want to ask is, is this a good time to buy low on Kucherov? I wouldn't rush to throw assets at him. I really wouldn't. But if I owned Kucherov, I would absolutely be shopping him around just to see. I doubt you're getting a worthy return back. Nobody wants to pay full price for a like 125 point scorer, but do your due diligence. See what kind of return you can get from anyone who does think he's just due to bounce back because I'm not sure he will. Interesting. Okay, so Brian, if, uh, you know, we just said that we thought Barkov was good for 100 points. What would you do if I were to offer you Barkov for Kucherov moving forward, like a points-only league? Who do you think is going to get more points by the time this is all said and done? It's going to be really close. It's going to be closer than we thought at the start of the year. What I would do if I were the Kucherov owner, I'd say, okay, give me Barkov and a little more. And I think that could probably put me over the top. Interesting. Yeah, I guess you still got to go Kucherov because, you know, everything that you're looking at with these underlying numbers being a little bit concerning, still pretty small sample size. He could totally go off just like he did for big stretches last year. We'll forget all about this. The other Tampa guy I wanted to ask about is Andre Vasilevsky, who we put in tier one in Schmore Goliesborg as our slam dunk for sure goalie that you want to get if you want to reach for a goalie. Vasilevsky's rewarded us by being exceedingly regular. He's got six wins in 10 games, a 905 save percentage. Are you expecting the 2019 Vesna winner to start approaching his 925? save percentage from last year soon or is he going to be just another in our long list of examples for why you shouldn't use a high pick on a goalie in fantasy he's definitely going to be another example of why you shouldn't waste a high pick on a goalie in fantasy even one who seems like such a sure thing Uh, Vasilevsky is a 915 goalie at five on five this year which has been about what you'd expect from an average goalie in Tampa which is pretty much what we've called Vasilevsky to this point in his career his protection from the defense in front of him is a little worse than it was last year when he had the second cushiest workload behind Devin Dubnik but uh, it hasn't been such a drop that his even strength save percentage should fall from 921 to 915. Uh, So that's one place where he's hurting. Another place, he's an 814 on the penalty kill. He ranks 42nd out of 46 goalies with 30 or more penalty kill minutes. So it's going to get better for him there. That's the sort of thing that's, it's a small sample. It should balance out and he should uh, stop a few more bucks there than he has already. But goalies are like stocks. Never invest in them. 
This is not financial advice. Please consult a financial professional. <laughs> Never invest in any stocks. Okay, got it. So, Brian, uh, of course, now might be a good time with Tampa Bay not being as exciting as usual. Maybe a good time to go see a lightning game. You could witness the turnaround in person. You could see that first big multi-point game from Nikita Kucherov that propels him back to that 125-point pace, which you're saying is probably not going to happen. If you want to go see the lightning or any sporting event, we highly recommend using our sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. Brian, there's a bunch of ticketing sites out there, but if you are like me, then you've tried them and you've been disappointed. It's almost as if they're making it difficult on purpose. You've got random hidden fees. You got, a, I don't know, like weird pop-ups coming all, of, all the time. It's like, what if someone actually tried to make the ticket buying experience comfortable and easy? Well, there is someone who has, and that is SeatGeek. They've got millions of live event tickets, a price match guarantee. They prove that there's a better way. You could search sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place. It's super easy. You bring up the app. You could bring up the city that you're interested in. You see a list of all the events there. Once you pick an event, you could get the tickets sorted by a bunch of different things. I love sorting by value to see like what's the best deal that I can get. Brian, since we're talking about the Lightning, I brought up, you could actually even go and pick like an NHL team and just see all the tickets for that team. I'm looking at Tampa Bay Lightning tickets for the next week. I'm curious to know, once they come back from Sweden, they've got games against the Rangers and Winnipeg in Tampa, then they're going to go to St. Louis. So why don't you tell me which you think is the most expensive ticket on SeatGeek? So the Rangers at Tampa, Winnipeg at Tampa, or Tampa at the St. Louis Blues? The most expensive ticket, probably the Rangers... At Tampa, they're not the best team, but I feel like people, like, enjoy seeing the New York Rangers. It makes them feel like they're a New Yorker. <laughs> yeah, it's like all the grandparents that went to Florida for the winter time. Now they get to still see, you know, their favorite team. And yes, you're right, but still a great deal. I'm seeing from $37 to see the Rangers at Tampa, then 32 for Winnipeg. Then if you go to St. Louis, just 18 bucks to go see the defending Stanley Cup champions against the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's nothing. And if you think, oh, $18, that's nothing. What if it was $8? Brian, why don't you tell our listeners so they can even get $10 off of these already great prices? Yeah, SeatGeek is going to give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase because you listen to Keeping Carlson and they love you, just like we do. All you need to do is use our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app today. Use the promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your first purchase. That's promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your first SeatGeek purchase. Wow. Life's an event. We've got the ticket. Is that still their slogan or has that changed? Be geek, get a seat. Only geeks get seats. All the all the people who are too cool to be geeks, they stand. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, yeah. So check it out at SeatGeek. Uh, let's go to our next out jury. Uh, I want to go to Toronto. They recently got John Tavares back from his finger injury, but unfortunately got dealt a bad blow yesterday versus Philly as Mitch Marner left the game with a knee injury, which we don't know the extent of as of yet. So then Kasperi Kapanen jumped to the second line with Tavares and Trevor Moore in Marner's absence. Yesterday, the Leafs are playing today against Chicago. So let me just get up frozen tools here and see what the current line combos are for Toronto. I'm seeing Nylander with Matthews and Janssen, as per usual. Then, yeah, Tavares with Trevor Moore and Kasperi Kapanen. So there you go. A nice upgrade for Kapanen, who was bounced down to the bottom six once Toronto had some of those players returning. Though, of course, the Leafs are losing 4-1 to one at this point, so who knows how long this will stick. I can actually tell you, it uh, did not stick past the first period after a really rough start by Toronto. The lines... Uh, Janssen, Matthews, Nylander still played together. The other lines, I guess this is all moot, sort of, but just for the sake of our conversation, Tavares, Kerfoot, Moore was one line, then Mikhaev, Gauthier, and Kapanen another, Timoshev, Shore, and Spezza the other. 
Oh, my God. So who knows what to do in Toronto right now? If you're a Marner owner, you're disappointed. If you're a Tavares owner, you've got to be disappointed because he's not playing with superstars at the moment. Don't forget that Hyman has been out all season, and that was someone that Tavares was able to produce with. Are there any Toronto guys that you're interested in, aside from this top line plus John Tavares? Like, you got Trevor Moore. He's been playing with Tavares for three games. Nothing to show for it. He has some shots. Kapanen, like we said, is already bumped, so can't get excited about him. He's 72% owned in the Cacuffle, according to Marcus a spreadsheet i feel like that should fall i would he was actually just dropped recently in tier one sweden and i have no interest in adding casper captain i've got to say well if he's playing with gautier as the third line center that's that's questionable when you have jason spezza put him on the third i know that's not the reason spezza's in toronto <laughs> apparently uh so yeah cabinet playing with gautier and Mac- makayev not very appealing uh trevor moore also not very appealing he's like a hymen type he's there to provide some stability and quote-unquote energy as a third wheel and so more may pick up a few points by osmosis but i wouldn't expect better than a half point per game pace even when he's in a plum deployment situation i guess the two guys you're looking at right now are kerfoot and kapanen as the two candidates to flank Tavares and more so uh one of those two guys seems like a reasonable bet to make on a leaf just to see if they can help you with some depth production on your roster but i guess neither one is a guy you need to rush for. Uh, also, we're waiting to see what the prognosis is for Mitch Marner's situation. Apparently, he said he was a little stiff today. The MRI has been done, but that's all I was able to gather uh, going into recording time. And I am deeply invested because I traded for him like two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Who did you send again? Tyler Sagan? No, it was Be- Brock Besser, right? Besser and Stasny for Marner and Jack Hughes. Okay, well, Hughes has been bumped to the second line on New Jersey. And now if Marner's injured, that won't work out so well for you. But maybe he'll be back soon. Uh, Brock Besser, though, is doing uh, pretty well. Uh, Okay, so uh, the one, I guess, person who does benefit is William Nylander, who takes Marner's spot on the top power play. That could be a boost for him if Marner is out long term. Nylander's uh, one goal, one assist yesterday brought him to 13 points in 18 games. It's a 59-point pace. Only three of those points have come on the power play. So does that seem right to you? Like, is Nylander like a 60-ish point guy if he's not on the top? power play and then upside for more if he does get extended time on that top unit i love this this is when our job is easy because we've done the work before and we happened to be right uh, i this is a direct quote from the almanac elon off the top power play nylander is a 60 ish point guy on it i'm into a 75 point pace and we've nailed it so far right we nailed the 60 ish point guy part let's see if nylander can now take advantage of a power play one boost for as long as marner is out yeah, and already a goal today, actually, for Nylander, assisted by Austin Matthews. So great spot at even strength. Maybe gets a boost on the power play. Brian, I hate to ask, is it time to call Tyson Barry a full-blown snoozer? Just one sad assist in his last 15 games. That's going into today, so that might become 16 games soon. He did have six shots yesterday, for what it's worth. But uh, I'm not excited about Tyson Barry at the moment. I'd love to ask, who do you think has a better chance of making an impact moving forward this season? Tyson Barry or Mikhail Sergachev? Oh, right, because we talked about Sergachev in the context of Shattenkirk. You know, Sergachev could still just be a 40-point guy. That's fine. So I, that's the benchmark we're trying to figure out if Tyson Barry can be above or below. It's What a crazy discussion. 
to be having. But Tyson Berry, it's not all his fault. He's been pinned to the blue line rather than being allowed to walk in closer for shots on net. And that's showing in his expected goals numbers, which are half of what they were during his days in Colorado. I think Barry has been stuck in a role different than in years past. I don't think I know. Uh, He's not being asked to be creative or make big breakout stretch passes, the things he did to create offense, and that's showing in his numbers or lack thereof. This also applies to Barry's limited power play time too. He's shooting less, involved less, and further away from the net than he's used to being, even when he is on the ice for the second power play unit. And of course, the hot topic at the moment is whether Tyson Barry should get to replace Morgan Riley as the top power play quarterback. And I've seen several people I trust saying they think he should at least have a shot. And I've tried to get a little more info on why. And I guess the answer to that is why not? Morgan Riley pacing for just 22 power play points, which is one more than he had last year, on what's a pretty fully loaded top unit. 22 power play points, nothing to shake a stick at, but why don't you see if you can do better than that, especially when your power play ranks 21st in the league, converting at three percentage points below league average. So that would be my best hope for Tyson Barry reclaiming some real fantasy relevance. If that doesn't happen, I I guess he's snoozing. Until then, I definitely expect Tyson Barry to do better than his 23-point pace, though. He's also showing an awful 5-on-5 shooting percentage, barely above 5%. That's not his fault. Also the lowest IPP of his career, which probably isn't his fault. I think he's got a bigger chance of making an impact the rest of the season than Sergachev. So I would take Barry to Sergachev. In fact, Elon, you might not like this, but I might trade Kevin Shattenkirk for Tyson Barry. Well, uh, I, if I had Barry, I would gladly make that trade with you. But I do not. Uh, he's another guy that I'm not interested in right now. Brian, obviously, you're playing the long game. It would be very hard for me to hold Tyson Barry while he's not on the top power play and doing absolutely nothing. So to me, it's not him that's snoozing. It's any of his owners that are snoozing. But it sounds like you <laughs> would be one of them. So you're just lucky that you don't have to have to make that decision. I uh, am. Let's... I would, it would be hell to have him on my roster right now. <laughs> do you still have Zach Parise? Yep. Yeah, well, he actually had a point, I think, yesterday. So oh, maybe he's bouncing yeah, back a little he, bit. No, no, he's been doing a few things lately. <laughs> That's nice. So, hey, maybe Barry's next. Uh, <laughs> let's go to our next outjury. Andre Kasha returned to the Ducks on Tuesday after missing five games. Uh, not an exciting landing spot as he played on the third line with Richie and Henrique. He had a shot, nothing else. Though I just saw, Brian, breaking news. Anaheim's playing tonight at 9 p.m. And while you were talking about Tyson Barry, I wanted to do a quick search to see if there were, there were any practice lines tweeted out. And at Kyle... Uh, Shohara, who is, I guess, a beat writer for Anaheim, he tweeted that the lines were switched up on Anaheim, and today they're going to have Getzlaff with Kasha and Nick Ritchie. Yes! Raquel, <laughs> Raquel with Henrique and Silverberg, and then Sam Steele with Troy Terry and Max Comtois, so an all-rookie third line there. I guess Terry's not technically a rookie, but you know what I mean. So, I don't know, I want to ask you a bunch of questions about all these players, but I feel like with all of these shakeups, all of my questions are kind of moot. Like, I was going to say, should we just forget about Kasha while he's, you know, in the bottom six? Now, probably, if you have him on your team, you want to hold on if he's going to be playing with Getzlaff, see how he does. If he's in your free agency, maybe you don't have to add him right now maybe once you listen to this podcast check and see how he did in this game versus Edmonton and then maybe that could help inform because he had that great run last year we haven't seen it yet for Kasha but he's been dealing with injuries hopefully he's healthy now and he'll be able to go on a run on the top line then I was going to ask you about Sam Steele playing with Raquel and Silverberg it looked like the band was back together they were doing pretty well but now it's been broken up 
So that sucks. I hope they go back together soon because Steele has three assists in his last two games. He and Silverberg assisted on Raquel's goal versus the Wild in the last game, which I thought was good news for Raquel because he was finally getting a couple points with Steele as a centerman after going cold for a while. So I don't know, what's your take right now on all of these ducks? And do you think that these new lines will even hold? Or like, uh, sometimes I get worried that we just spend too much time talking about a line combination. Then, like you said, in Toronto, like it switches after one period and then everything we said was just useless. Yeah, I don't know what to do about the lines in Anaheim, but my yes when you announced them was that Andre Kasha was back playing with Ryan Getzlaff. You know, I, I know a lot of people, including you, were down on him after his uh, pretty tepid return to say, to be generous about it, getting one shot while playing with Adam Henrique as a centerman. Uh, but he's got to ease into things, right? This is his second concussion of the year already that he's just come back from. It's something to be wary of uh, when you're trying to figure out what's going to come from him. I wonder if he plays a little more timidly. I, I almost hope he does. Like, be careful. Please, Andre Kasha, protect your brain. Uh, one shot is not at all characteristic of Kasha. So let's give him some time to find his game again. And I hope he sticks with Ryan Getzlaff. Uh, that would be fantastic. I think they could be a really great pair together. Uh, and I'm glad he's gotten away from Adam Henrique. It's a uh, kind of a shame, though, Elon, that we didn't get to see that Steel Silverberg Raquel line hold a little longer because you talked at length about the magic they had at the end of last season, and it was nice to see them producing for the last couple games in what looked like a sustainable way, unlike that big streak they had to end last year. So I was really curious to see where that would go and hop on the Sam Steel train, but now I'm a little more reluctant. Although Steel Comtois. Terry is also a pretty interesting line. Sam Steele, an interesting depth add if you're looking for someone who might be helpful in a very deep depth role when he's not playing with Raquel or Kasha or Getzlaff. Yeah, and hey, check out at Game Day Lines. Maybe Steele will get back on that second line, or I guess you could call it the first line soon. Come on, Bob Murray. Let, let us see it. That's a fun-looking line, okay? Uh, next outjury. Let's talk about Colin White, who's back for the Sens. This is a classic keeping Carlson. I'm just bringing up Colin White so I can talk about the actual players on the team that I'm interested <laughs> in. But he is the outjury. That is our gateway. He didn't get his line one spot with Kachuk back. Uh, White was playing with Nemesnikov and Tyler Ennis versus the Canes yesterday. White actually did have an assist on a Nemesnikov goal. Uh, once again, the Sens have an exciting schedule next week. They play Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. One of only three teams to play four times next week. And that's a good opportunity for me to mention that you should check out the Stream Scheme podcast. They went Dave Benton, the host of the Stream Scheme, went deep into the schedule as he always does every single week to let you know who you should be streaming in. So you can check out keepingcarlson.com slash stream scheme or just search for stream scheme and you'll be able to download that. It's a very quick, fun show that helps you uh, get ready for the next week of action. And yeah, Ottawa is one of those teams that you're going to want to be streaming someone from because Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday are busy days and Ottawa, like I said, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So very good schedule for them. Uh, so no point going through all these hot senators forwards though, because we've just done it so many times. I think you guys get the gist. You want to have Duclair or Pajot or Nemesnikov. Hell, maybe even Colin White, depending how deep your league is. The main reason, Brian, I wanted to bring up the Sens though, is I want to ask about Anders Nilsson. His 39 save win yesterday over Carolina brought him to a 4-2-1 record and 940 save percentage. It's already been confirmed that Nilsson's going to play tomorrow in the return match versus Carolina, which will be Nilsson's third start in a row. So maybe he has started to take over as the starting goalie in Ottawa. Maybe Craig Anderson is now the backup. 
And does that mean that everyone needs to be rushing to grab Anders Wilson? The dude's been amazing. The Sens have a good schedule next week, so you're going to get at least two, maybe even three games from Nielsen. And if you're in a league like the Cupful, where you get points for every save, he's been absolute money. He's actually third in average Cupful points per game with 7.64 points behind only Grice and Hellebuck, who, really nice bounce back for him, who we were talking about being very worried about, like, the first episode of the season. But yeah, Nielsen is just crushing it. Only 22% owned in the cupful. Got to imagine that's going to rise after today. I'm sure that Dave mentioned Nilsson in the stream scheme. I haven't had a chance to listen yet, but how could he not? Anders Nilsson, no longer Nilsson Schmilson or Schmilson. What did we used to call him? Nilsson Schmilson. Yeah, well, now I, I feel like I can't say Nilsson Schmilson. I should say go get freaking Anders Nilsson because he's crushing it. Nilsson for Rilsson, right? <laughs> yeah. He's feeling like a, you know, a Lundqvist or Talbot or Jonathan Quick type right now. And I'm not talking about this season's version of them. I'm talking about the versions of them from the last three, four years. Or actually, you know what? Craig Anderson makes a really good analogy. We don't need to go out of Ottawa to find a guy who's, you know, faced a ton of rubber and doing a reasonable job handling it. And if that's happening with Anders Nielsen, why not give him a try in your lineup? Uh, I'll say two things about what you should do if you are thinking about adding him first the ottawa defense is as bad as advertised right they rank 30th in the league in shot attempts per 60 at five on five 29th in the league in expected goals against per 60 minutes they stink folks so nielsen has one of the most challenging workloads in the league this year which brings me to my second thing i have no idea if nielsen is actually good I really don't know. Only Tomas Grice, Connor Hellebuck, and Philip Grubauer have posted better expected goals saved above average rates while playing similar minutes to Nelson this year, though. Uh, so he stands in really great company, but that is not familiar territory for Anders Nielsen, who had been just a slightly below average goalie relative to his workload over the last five seasons. And this year, his workload stinks. Something awful, as I might have mentioned once or twice. So if you're weighing the benefits and risks of adding him or starting him on any given night, all I can say is he's a goalie, right? We have no idea what's going to happen. I'd have never thought that Nielsen would be seeing this many starts, but he's certainly been great and the team looks to be rallying around him. So go ahead and give him a shot if he can help you. Uh, just keep in mind, he could also blow up your numbers in a heartbeat. I've actually added him myself in Cupful, so I'm going to take him for a spin. I'm a little bit scared, but how can you not just try him and try and like get some of these points or category wins that he would have given you for the last week uh, if he's just sitting on your wire doing what he's doing? So go out, take him for a spin, and then we're sorry if he blows up your numbers. But you know what you're getting into. I hope you now know what you're getting into. Yeah, well, the Sens defense being bad might just be an opportunity for you to rack up the saves. So you just got to hope that he could at least be average. He doesn't even have to be the 940 plus whatever guy he's been lately. Even just average would probably be very worthwhile in fantasy. And of course, Brian, don't forget, last year we saw a similar run from Anders Nilsson and a lot of people were regretting not having added him. And then he kind of blew up a bit at the end. So we'll see how long this lasts. We're done with the outjuries finally. Now we have to get to some sad news of injuries. And we've got to start in Pittsburgh. Sidney Crosby suffered a lower 
lower body injury yesterday versus Chicago. And Coach Mike Sullivan said we'll have more information on Monday. So we don't have an update now, but if you're listening to the podcast, I would recommend going on to Roto World or whatever and seeing what the latest on Sidney Crosby is. Hopefully it's not serious, but I don't know, not looking great. And this is already on the heels of us learning that Chris Letang is going to be week to week with a lower body injury. Man, so, it must suck to be a Pens fan, right? They got Malkin, Galchenyuk, and Rust back, but then had to pay a big price for them losing Crosby and Latang. But hey, good on the Penguins to be resilient. They beat the Blackhawks 3-2 in a shootout yesterday. I feel like uh, I don't even want to try to speculate on lines right now. Like going into yesterday, the Penguins were running Crosby, Galchenyuk, Gensel, then Malkin, Rust, McCann. Uh, Brian, actually your number one pick of Penguin streamers last week, Dominic Simone, got bumped from the top line. Like Maybe he heard the last show and decided he just wanted to, you know, rub it in your face or maybe more like uh, Coach Sullivan heard it. And then I was like, Brian doesn't know what he's talking about. So he sent Simone down. But hey, now everything's going to be different. Uh, Jake Gensel scored a goal assisted by Malkin and McCann yesterday. So maybe like Gensel won't be hurt that much. Like, that was my first thought is, oh no, if Crosby's hurt, that's not great for Gensel. But of course, if Gensel like loses Crosby but gains Malkin as a centerman, you know, it's not too much of a downgrade. Uh, Brian Rust also scored a goal assisted by Malkin in the third yesterday. So I feel like the lines are a complete mystery at the moment. So I don't know if you want to like jump in and say anything about who you're interested in or not interested in in the Penguins or who gains or like gets hurt by Crosby being injured right now I just feel like uh, who knows I will say that Justin Schultz even if he gets on the top power play is not doing anything when he gets those opportunities I'm starting to be ready to call Justin Schultz a, sh- a snoozer even if he's on the top power play which is a weird thing to say you saw Ricola and Marcus Pedersen saw similar power play time to Justin Schultz yesterday so I don't even know if the top power play is a guarantee for him so yeah I just I have no idea what to say about the Penguins right now and who you want and who's hurt if, if Crosby's injured this is not going to be pretty no idea what goes on in Pittsburgh right now. Like, we did know what happens with a healthy Crosby and Malkin, but at least we could say, well, whoever's playing with either one is in pretty good shape, and that covers four players. Now we're down to two players, whoever's playing with Malkin. And I guess we see if Gensel, if Crosby's out for any length of time, if Gensel can do his thing without Crosby. And I mean, he can probably do some version of it, but it's not going to be quite as good. Of course, one thing I wonder is if Alex Galchenyuk moves to center. Remember that the Penguins have all these guys who can play two or three different forward positions. They have so many iterations and options possible for how they want to roll out their lines, but it would be cool to see Galchenyuk with Gensel on his wing, and then, I don't know, like throw Brian Rust in there, right? Because he's the guy you always just throw in there on that top line, or the non-Malkin top line. Back on the blue line, I'm not so surprised about Marcus Pedersen or Yusuf Ricola that we're hearing these names because we've heard them before. And Justin Schultz leaving the door wide open. He has no shots in his last two games, no points in them either, despite seeing nearly six minutes of power play time in those last two games. All in all, Schultz has just two points in his last 10 games. He has some games where he's had three or four shots. Somewhere he has no shots at all. He's a really frustrating guy to own. He's someone I almost want Pedersen and Ricola to be cycled in randomly just so if I'm a Schultz owner, I can feel good about being, you know what? I don't even know if he's going to play on the top power play. I don't want him on my team. I, I feel like a lot of Justin Schultz owners want emancipation from having to roster him. 
Yeah, I think you could maybe let him go because in most leagues, no one's going to add him right now until he starts doing something. So as long as you trust yourself to be quick on the trigger, if he does start producing, I don't know if you have to hold on. By the way, Brian, I think I've been definitely overdoing it, trying to get Thomas Grice's name pronunciation <laughs> right. Patty's telling us that it's just Thomas. I've been saying Tomas. You said Tomash at one point. I was like just trying to copy you. All of it, We've called him Thomas Grice for 251 episodes. All of a sudden, episode number 252, we're giving him like his... His, like, birth pronunciation. Okay, so I'm going to stick with Thomas moving forward. I just love him so much, I should probably actually learn how to say his name. Okay, next injury. Over in Dallas, John Klingberg is expected to be out two to four weeks with a lower body injury that he suffered on Tuesday. We discussed, actually, on Wednesday's patron cast, which, by the way, Brian, we just talked last Wednesday to all the patrons answering a bunch of questions. It was a really fun show. If anyone wants to sign up to be a patron at keepingcarlson.com slash patron, you can get access to that patron cast that we did. We talked about a lot of players. A lot of it is very relevant still now. Anyways, on that patron cast, we talked about how this Klingberg injury could kind of go in a couple of ways like one way to look at it is that okay this is a good opportunity for Klingberg to regroup have like a keeping Carlson vacation as we call it and then come back stronger than ever after his terrible four points in 18 games to start the season kind of like a Matt Murray last year another way to look at it is that this is a great opportunity for Miro Haskinen to take hold of that top power play spot pull a gossip hair over Mark Strait from all those years ago and then never look back so either way is a possibility we have one extra game to look at today where Dallas Lost to Winnipeg 3-2 to two in overtime. It looks like Haskinen, no points. Essa Lindell had a point, so I don't know. Uh, so far, Haskinen obviously not taking advantage of the opportunity. What do you think is going to happen? If you had to pick one of the two, or maybe throw in Essa Lindell as a dark horse, but like, do you think that Klingberg owners should be really worried, or do you think they should just be happy to be able to have the opportunity to put him in the IR, and then hopefully he'll come back stronger when he's healthy? I think it's the latter. Like, go ahead, John Klingberg, take a little vacation get better, get well, rest yourself, and come back stronger than before. But this also is a really great opportunity for Miro Haskinen, who'd already been seeing some top power play minutes before Klingberg left the lineup. And like Klingberg, Haskinen uh, didn't do much with them. It's going to be wild to see how much Haskinen plays in Klingberg's absence, by the way. Haskinen is 20 years old, and he's seen 25 minutes a night without top power play deployment. That's thanks to increased penalty kill responsibilities. Haskinen's actually been playing a little less at 5-on-5 so far this year. Those are beastly minutes, especially for anyone in the NHL, let alone a sophomore 20-year-old. Anyway, Haskinen hasn't actually moved the needle much with his own numbers over last year. And the answer to this question about Haskinen or Klingberg the rest of the way, all about deployment. Right, And it could be entirely decided by this stretch of Klingberg's absence from the lineup. Klingberg leaves the lineup with Dallas's power play ranked 26th in the league. They're converting on just 13% of their opportunities. And yet, the Stars have the fifth highest power play expected goals for rates in the entire league. They're just getting screwed with the sixth worst shooting percentage, which is lower than 9%. And is not going to last. So this is a situation where the Dallas power play is actually working well, just getting unlucky. And now Klingberg's out and it's going to be Haskinen, who could just find himself in the right place at the right time for things to go the way they should have been going for Dallas over the last little while. So if he cashes in on just things working out for Dallas in ways they haven't before. He could stay there all season long, but if I had to pick Haskinen or Klingberg, I'm not picking Lindell. So if I'm choosing between either of those guys to hold the rest of the season, I think I'd still go Klingberg. 
It's really close, though. It's all the question of what happens in the next two weeks, right? We can forget everything that's ever happened. I think it's really going to be decided starting now. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so definitely a good opportunity. I think any Klingberg owner isn't too sad to be able to put him in the IR with, like I said, four points in 18 games. Who would you pick between Klingberg and Haskinen? All right, now give me Klingberg. I'll stash him in the IR and then I'll pick up Haskinen. <laughs> okay, I don't know. But you had to pick one to commit to the rest of the season. So here's the thing like, Miro Haskinen comes with this huge pedigree. He had five, like, he didn't get a point today. He did have five shots on goal. He had the most power play time. I think I'm ready to go, Haskinen. I'll roll the dice a little bit. Uh, I think eventually that's his job anyway. And with uh, Klingberg struggling, why not take a chance on someone else? So I know obviously it would be a very Brian move to hold on and hope for the old production. And oftentimes Brian moves turn out to, to work out correctly. So maybe that would happen. We actually actually had one of our patrons and great friend of the show, Ben Burnett, just wrote a whole article about the Dallas Stars. So why don't we bring him on? Oh my God, we got a special guest here. It's like the Royal Rumble. Oh my God, it's Ben Burnett. He's here from Average Time on Ice. We've also got his compatriot. What's the word here? His partner in crime from Average Time on Ice. Louis Ezekiel is here as well. Welcome to the show. We've got a big announcement. But first, why don't we say hello? Ben, great article about the Dallas Stars. Thank you. That's so kind. <laughs> and Lewis, always great to hear your nice Southern drawl on the show. Southern? Oh, well, you know, Southern from Canada, I guess. <laughs> what is your drawl? It's a little different, but I don't know. Maybe Midwestern. Midwestern, of course. Brian, was that was that rude, what I just said? I don't know. I'm not good at introducing people. No, it's not rude at all. But what's the announcement? What are Ben and Lewis even doing here? All right, let's let the cat out of the bag. We've mentioned it before. Brian said sometimes people say, guys, uh, we like your show every Sunday, but what do we do in the middle of the week? There's a big injury. Sidney Crosby gets injured. We need to know what to do about it. We don't want to wait. All of a sudden, things are happening. So we thought that uh, Ben and Lewis actually had an amazing podcast that they were doing, a daily fantasy podcast on the Locked On Network. It was fantastic. I don't know how you guys managed to do a show every single day, but it was keeping us all up to date. You guys uh, decided to stop doing that because like maybe once a week is a lot. But now you've agreed to come join the Keeping Carlson Network, which I guess is now a thing. And you're going to be dropping a show twice a week, a Keeping Carlson short shift on Wednesday morning and Friday morning to recap for like 20 minutes, a small bite of what's going on in fantasy. I think our listeners are going to love this. A great opportunity to get small bits of what's going on while they wait for the big Sunday show. I think those of you who don't know Ben and Lewis, you're really going to like them. Ben, uh, do you want to give a quick uh, summary of how you expect these shows to go? Like a little little teaser before we uh, get back to our regular show here. Uh, it's going to be really fun. Lewis and I uh, have been participating in the Keeping Carlson patron group for a long time. We've been discussing hockey with Brian and Elon for years now. And so we're just going to kind of bring two different takes to the Keeping Carlson podcast feed. And uh, twice a week, we're just going to be delivering up to the date uh, news and analysis from my uh, colleague, Lewis Ezekiel and I. Ah. Good word. I, I forgot about that word. That's a good yeah. one. And then not only are Ben and Lewis going to be dropping some extra content on our regular feed, this is also huge news for our patrons because now we've got some more resources. So we've got more people to help deliver value to the patrons of Keeping Carlson. Lewis, why don't you tell the patrons the big news of one extra patron perk that we're going to be introducing now that we're bringing you on board? All right. So for our excellent patrons, uh, we'll be coming in on Saturday mornings, uh, some combination of the four of us. Uh, to provide you with a live stream and some opportunities to ask questions and have them answered. Saturday is, you know, the biggest day of the week, I think, for fantasy hockey. You're making your big decisions about how you're going to win this final weekend and 
claw your way back or slam the door, make sure that nobody is going to be able to make a comeback on you. So uh, we're really looking forward to those uh, Saturday morning casts. Uh, you know, Ben and I, I think this is just super thrilling for us, having been part of the Keeping Carlson community for the better part of five years here. Uh, so to interact on social media, uh, on the patron Facebook group, uh, on Twitter, and just sort of provide some extra content for Keeping Carlson. Thrilling for you guys. It's thrilling for us. And I we hope it's thrilling for our listeners to have you guys around. And I need to say that instantly, uh, Elon, we are bumped to spots three and four on the Keeping Carlson voice patron rankings. I like I could listen to Ben and Lewis all day talk about anything. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and I'll get it right to say Midwestern. Okay, no, I don't even know how I was saying. Yeah, this. I can teach you all kinds of fun new ways to pronounce things. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one of the many reasons why I'm excited to have Ben and Lewis on board. So yeah, very excited for your first short shift episode to drop Wednesday morning. And I can't wait for you to tell me about all of the moves that I made incorrectly on Monday and Tuesday of the week. So once again, Ben and Lewis, welcome to Keeping Carlson. And we'll all be hearing from you Wednesday morning for the short shift. Thank you guys so much. So excited to get going. All right. Okay, so Brian, in all the excitement, I actually forgot to ask Ben about his Dallas Stars takes that he just wrote about on Dabber Hockey. So I'm going to have to throw to you because there is one player on Dallas that I feel like we need to start considering in that snoozer conversation. And that is Jamie Ben. Again, we got that question from Ad Dude with a K where he was asking if he could drop Ben for like a Ryan Strom or a Tom Wilson. Ben, pointless in four games, only six points in 18 games on the season. That was going into today. And yeah, in this 3-2 loss to Winnipeg, Jamie Ben once again pointless so yeah it's just going terribly for him at what point can we just tell people to forget about it just drop the bum move on with your life it would be so easy to write off jamie ben at this point right i want to it would just be so great to drop him and move on with your life but but what if i told you that right now Jamie Ben is putting up the highest expected goals rates of the last five years. And then it's also the third highest expected goals rate of his career. The poor guy should have scored three goals at five on five by now, according to that measure. Still stuck with zero goals on 25 shots going into Sunday's game, which, by the way, did not go well. There was an article by Matthew DeFranks in the Dallas Morning News, the gamer that was released like an hour after the game was over. And it was grim about Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. I'm just going to quote some things outright from the article. Again, this is Matthew DeFranks at the Dallas Morning News. I mentioned how Ben tied a career high by extending his goalless draught to 13 games on Sunday, something he hadn't done since his rookie season a decade ago. Sagan has one goal in his last 14 games. Uh, ben and Sagan were scoreless on Sunday, marking the 14th time in 18 games that the franchise cornerstones have not found the back of the net. Also from the article, I'm just quoting directly here on Sunday, Ben played a season-low 13 minutes and 3 seconds and received more ice time than just two other stars forwards. And then uh, really goes for the jugular here, saying among the 50 highest-paid forwards in the NHL this season, only three have one or fewer goals. Ben is one of them. Ottawa's Bobby Ryan has become a healthy scratch. And the Islanders' Jordan Eberle has played just six games due to injury. So things are not good for Jamie Benn in Dallas. You can slice it in a hundred different ways, uh, but here I am telling you that his expected goal rates are so good, and it's a similar story for his on-ice numbers. He has the highest on-ice expected goals for, uh, like, of the last few years for him, uh, but seeing less production thanks to a 5-on-5 on-ice shooting percentage below 6%. 
Jamie Ben is also suffering from that snake-bitten power play in Dallas that we mentioned when we were talking about Klingberg, where his own underlying numbers are actually holding steady, but the team as a whole is stuck in neutral. Ben had also been reunited with Sagan and Radulov for a few games that he spent today playing with Joe Pavelski and Jason Dickinson. So, like, look... I am tired of holding my breath on Jamie Benn, but if you read the article, you hear that Jamie Benn is still like, yeah, I think things are okay. Like, still getting the chances, just not going in. He hasn't lost faith in himself, and Jamie Benn, I haven't lost faith (laughs) in you either, as easy as it would be, and is like, absolutely, like, I should. I should. This is not a new thing, but I definitely do not think Ben Sealing is here as 53 points. I think he can still be at least a 60-point player if only the percentages just begin to swing back in his favor, and then I think he'll get more ice time too. But he's just – there's no way around him being a painful guy to own right now. Uh, It really stinks. I don't know what to tell you, Elon, aside that I can't convince myself to stop believing in him. I know. And it's hard because he's been good for so long. But again, you you reference those 53 points because that was his total from last year. And now I'm wondering if, yeah, that's maybe even his ceiling moving forward. Uh, ben, now who's now in the chat, just said, give Jamie Ben those three goals and he's on pace for 40 points. So it's not <laughs> as if like he's just close and he's just had this bad luck with these missing three goals. Like even that would still make him not rosterable in most leagues. Uh, at dude with a K doesn't even count hits in his league. So yeah, I'm going to say drop Ben for Ryan Strome, but I know Brian would... Like that like hurts him inside but uh, whoa you could probably trade ben for like in a 10-man league you're gonna trade a guy who was like on a 30-point pace for who when you have ryan strome (laughs) in free agency who's getting points every game yeah okay good point and maybe you could just re-add ben because nobody else is going to to want to jump on him until they see something from him i think he is it's crazy i think he is droppable but i don't think that this is the end of jamie ben yeah it might be the kind of thing where you drop him now and he'll go on a run at some point, but do you really want to wait to get him? And I don't want to be a caricature of myself. Like whenever someone's on a cold streak, I'm just like, ah, forget about him. You know, like obviously there's nuance here, but like for me, it's like last year he was also not great. So at some point you have to cut the cord. Kind of the same with PK Subban, who I actually just by coincidence wanted to bring up next because in New Jersey, Sammy Vatnin is injured, which is really sad. He took a high elbow from Alex Chiasson, didn't return. This is a guy who's had concussion trouble. So hopefully he'll be okay. But believe it or or not, with Sammy Vatnin out, Subban still hasn't gotten on the top power play. Today, in the win over the Vancouver Canucks, it was Hall, Hughes, Palmieri, Wayne Simmons, and Will Butcher. Uh, we're back to Will Butcher being the top power play. I feel like it was a direct quote from the Almanac where you said, finally, we don't have to hear any more about Will Butcher on the top power play. Well, he's back, baby. And not that he did anything with it, I don't think. Will Butcher, yeah, no points, one shot. Like a typical Will Butcher top power play game. But still, like, how low can you go for P.K. Subban to not even be considered, you know, with like many other options, injured, not available. So yeah, uh, with many other options... I'm sorry, how low can you go for P.K. Subban to not even be considered with Vatanen injured, someone who we didn't even think would be competition for him going into the season? Uh, so yeah, he stinks, I think, just like Jamie Benn. And again, Subban's someone who also wasn't that great last year, so we're now having a second year of a not very exciting P.K. Subban own. Uh, and if Vatanen is out long-term... What do you do, Brian? As a Subban owner, are you holding on hoping that he gets another shot? Or maybe are you interested? Should we start recommending for people to take a look at Will Butcher, Q being that top power play in New Jersey? Will Butcher won't butcher your opponents in all likelihood. It's nice that he's on the top power play. 
Uh, and we actually have mentioned that Will Butcher has shown some really great power play chops in the past without much production, though, at five on five or in any peripheral category. So there's your warning there. P.K. Subban did register seven shots in the game prior to Sunday. Elon, maybe you can tell us how many shots did P.K. Subban have in Sunday's game? Yeah, uh, one. That's a one shot for Subban. So yeah, he didn't follow up his seven against the Canucks. Bummer. You know, I'm definitely closer to trapping Subban than I thought I'd ever be, but I'm holding out hope. I, I guess he's not New Jersey's first choice to be on the power play, though, or their second, or maybe even their third. And I don't know what it's going to take to change that when it seems so obvious. Like, he still has this offensive gift, right? So why not use it? Anyway, I'm doing okay. Like, my advice here is usually... If you're in a place in the standings where you can afford it and the rest of your roster is doing their job, uh, then you might not have to worry too much about dropping a guy. You can afford to wait a little longer, especially Subban's one of the only guys I'm really waiting on on my roster. I guess you mentioned Parisi, who has three points in his last four games now, so I'm not waiting anymore. Uh, but I wonder it, how much patience I will have for P.K. Subban. I traded Martin Jones for him. Martin Jones has hit free agency already in the league in which I traded him. I don't know how far behind P.K. Subban will be. I also don't know how much longer I can de- depend on him, like, or, or decide to wait on him be- now that Mitch Marner, who I mentioned I acquired, is out four weeks and then will be reassessed. Breaking news. Ouch. Yeah, so he's gone for a month, at least. And that's not great for John Tavares. So, uh, okay, we'll have to, you know, everyone will definitely have to go check those Toronto line combinations to see how that shakes out. Good news for William Nylander again. So maybe you try to trade for him now before people realize that he's in for an uptick. Uh, but on New Jersey, yeah, not looking good for Subban. At least in the Kakupful, he's getting you blocks and shots sometimes. So he's helping you somewhere. But yeah, definitely not someone to be too excited about. Also, Brian, I mentioned how you weren't uh, looking so good in that other trade just because Jack Hughes was bumped from the top line. Looks like today, Jack Hughes was back on the top line playing with Hall and Paul Mary and then Nico Hischier was playing with Jesper Brad and Miles Wood so I guess these are things that are changing a lot in New Jersey so yeah I guess Hughes and Hischier hard to know who you want to hold both kind of frustrating just because they're going to be switching and there's such a big difference between playing with Hall and Paul Mary and then the next two options Uh, but there you go that's your New Jersey update there's also still Nikita Gusev like he's still around he actually had a goal a couple games ago seems to be taking some shots so I don't know he had two shots today but Nine minutes of ice time, so I'm not going to get too excited about Gusev. Well, I still feel like there's a, a run at some point for Gusev coming, but I don't know when. But there's going to be one episode of Keeping Carlson where we're like asking if people should be rushing to grab Nikita Gusev, but it's definitely not this week. So uh, I guess let's go to the next injury. Another team that play this afternoon uh, is the Winnipeg Jets and poor Brian Little is hurt again. This time he'll be out indefinitely with a perforated eardrum and vertigo symptoms after he was hit by a puck on the ear on Tuesday. So that is rough. Poor Brian Little not having a good go of it lately. Uh, So this injury led to a line shakeup with Blake Wheeler moving to the second line to center Ehlers and Roslovic with Shifley remaining as the top line center playing with Line and Kyle Connor. Seemed to work on Friday. The Jets beat Demko and the Canucks four to one and then another win today for the Jets like I said three two overtime win over Dallas and Mark Mark Shifley scored a goal Blake Wheeler had an assist so yeah maybe these lines are gonna stick so Brian what does this mean to you how are we feeling specifically okay so first of all I think that this might be good news for Jack Roslovic right if he's gonna be centered by Blake Wheeler and also playing with Ehlers that seems like a good line so maybe in a super deep league people need to start looking at Jack Roslovic or maybe for like daily fantasy but I want to ask you about Blake Wheeler who is now gonna 
to be a second line center, which doesn't seem as good as top line winger with Shifley and like usually Connor or Line. Uh, Wheeler's had a rough start to the season, nine points in 17 games going into today. Like I said, he got a point today, so that's good. Are you still expecting Wheeler to get going like he was last year, get on track to be a 90 point guy again, like before this change? And now that he goes to the second line to center it, do you think that that hurts or helps him in his pursuit of getting back to being that point per game plus type of player? I do. I still think Blake Wheeler is worth looking to uh, for production. Uh, he snapped a six-game pointless streak recently. That has to be one of the longest ones he's ever had. And Wheeler finally picked up his first and second power play points on the year, which is where we said his production would need to and was going to pick up. So it's great to see that Wheeler finally has those power play points coming. It took him too long to get them. I don't think it was his fault because his numbers still look okay. In fact, they look better than I thought they would. I thought we'd see a little bit more of a fall off and I would be able to say, yeah, Blake Wheeler. I mean, we did sort of take him down a few points in his projection this year, but I was open to the idea that he could slide further, but he's still looking pretty good. But it is weird to see Blake Wheeler playing center, which is not ideal. I'm still expecting Wheeler to get back up to his, you know, his usual pace or just under that. But from center is not a place that I'm sure it's going to happen. If it doesn't work for him as center, right? Remember the Jets can play Roslovic there. They have Matthew Perot who can also play there as a second line center if Wheeler's not working out, which could push him to the wing where he can do better. I think Wheeler makes a good buy low opportunity right now for anyone who's feeling disillusioned with the fact he's playing center and just been pretty bad in his production so far this year. Yeah, I'm with you. So I'm not going to go three for three. Like, I don't know if I'm with you on Ben or, or Subban, though. It sounds like you're kind of down on them as well. But yeah, Blake Wheeler, I do agree, is a good buy low at this point, especially with the shakeup. I just feel like he's too good. And like you say, under the hood, everything's looking good for Wheeler. And it's going to be interesting in Winnipeg. They're still winning. Uh, so that's great. And we'll see how long it can last. And like I said, Cutter Hellebuck giving them amazing goaltending. So yeah, maybe this Jets team is going to be a team to watch. And I'm excited to see what they can do come playoff time. Looks like they're probably going to get in. And uh, one more injury I want to bring up Eric Howlett knee injury is worse than initially thought. Brindamore said yesterday that he's more than day-to-day. So that's a bummer because this is actually the same knee that was injured for most of last year. Hopefully he'll be fine. It's a really tough break for Eric Halla, who's been having a great return season, 11 points in 14 games after missing most of last season. Uh, this, along with the Hurricanes in the midst of a four-game losing streak after the 4-1 loss to the Sens yesterday, has obviously led to some line shakeups as the Hurricanes are trying to figure things out post-Halla and obviously to break the slump. It looks like Nino Niederreiter was back with Aho and Tevo Teravainen yesterday. Though, of course, that could be completely different on Monday after that tough loss to the Sens where they weren't able to produce against Anders Nilsson. Brian, I've already gotten you to bring your Nino Niederreiter projection down from high 60s to like mid to high 50s. Where are you at now with Niederreiter as we're 17 games in and he has only six points to show for himself? He's now been dropped in a couple of my leagues. Would you still be into him or should I just leave him in FA until he shows some signs of life? He's actually only 72% owned in Kakupful. He's still owned in Tier 1 Sweden as far as I know. Wouldn't be surprised if he gets dropped soon though. And I know you would rush to add him, or at least former Brian would have rushed to add him. Is current Brian still in that same camp? Current Brian may not rush to add him, but still wants to add him deep down. So whether it's a rush or just watch list looking for the first sign of life, as we mentioned, when I knocked Nino Niederreiter's projection down into the 50s from being in the 60s, he's just not getting to do many of the things he did last year when Carolina first acquired him, seeing fewer power play minutes, although his performance with the extra man is actually looking really good so far in the minutes that Niederreiter does get. But at five on five, Nino's also seeing fewer minutes there. 
and worse shot rates, lower expected goals, but still deserves better than he's gotten. He's got a 50% IBP versus his usual 60, 70%, 4% shooting percentage, which is less than half the 10% that we'd expect to see from him based on his career history. His on-ice shooting percentage is also down at 6% versus 8%, which isn't a huge difference, but it makes a difference. Even with Niederreiter's lesser role, I still think he's got more to show than what we've seen so far. And if he gets to play with Aho and Tara Vinen, man, I, I hope that works. I hope they all click. If Niederreiter were to be available in my league, and I'm in a place where I can afford to wait a couple weeks to see what happens without jeopardizing my place in the standings, like I'm doing with P.K. Subban, I'm going to add him to my team. I think he's someone you're going to want on your roster through the year. I just don't know when that takeoff moment is going to be and how close you want to play it to that takeoff moment. So you can tell I'm still holding out hope for him. Uh, I would keep a very close eye on him. If someone dropped him in my cupful division, I would make a play for him. I wonder what worst players are rostered in the like four or five divisions that Nita Ryder is not owned in. I can't imagine that every other player owned is worth rostering ahead of him. Well, you know, it's not exactly like that, right? Because you're streaming in players who are going to get you off day games. Like I'm sure like Nick Paul on Ottawa, as people are mentioning in the chat room, is going to get added in some leagues where Nino Niederreiter is available just because you're getting that Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So yeah, it sounds like you're saying you're still into him long term, but you wouldn't rush, you know, like uh, Brian from a few weeks ago would have. So yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I've been throwing some tough questions at you. A lot of these disappointing players that you expected to do well. Now we have to start reassessing and uh, yeah, not too great. But why don't we talk about some players now who are doing the opposite, players we didn't expect much from and are now overperforming. And I want to start in Detroit. So we're done with the injuries and outjuries. I want to talk about some interesting line combinations. I want to start, like I said, Detroit, they made a trade. They shipped uh, Jacob Della Rose to the St. Louis Blues to take a shot on the 2014 21st overall pick, Robbie Fabry. And Fabry got some primo deployment,o as Dave from Stream Scheme would say, as he was placed on the second line with Athanasiu and Philpla, as well as the top power play, where he capitalized with two power play goals on his first two shots that he took as a Red Wing. Uh, the Wings actually played again today versus Vegas and it looks like Anthony Mantha scored a game-winning goal with 30 seconds left, assisted by Fabry and Dylan Larkin. So I don't even know where that line comes from. I guess maybe they pulled the goalies. They had an extra person on the ice. I'm sure it was something like that because uh, normally uh, for most of the game, Fabry was playing with Athanasiu and Philpola on the second line with Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantha on the top line. But yeah, Fabry on the top power play with Larkin, Mantha, Bertuzzi, and I guess like Dennis Chalowski. So, you know, the the Red Wings, we don't even know what they're doing with the power play, but seems like it's been a good landing spot for Fabry, who's doing nothing in St. Louis. Now he's got three points in two games. What do you think moving forward for Fabry? Is he someone that people need to rush and add? Most of the Kakuffle added him, right? He's already 72% owned in Kakuffle when going into the week. I'm pretty sure it was 0%. That includes an $8 bid by Dave from the stream scheme over in my Sweden division. He had no one else bidding. So we'll see if Dave gets the last laugh or if we're all like how you overspent when you didn't need to. What do you think about Fabry moving forward? We used to think he had a lot of upside, former first round pick, looking good so far, but maybe now's a good like sell high time or just like hold while you can, but don't get too excited. Yeah, I wouldn't want to get too attached because Fabry has been someone who's been on our radar for like the last three years, right? But his best season to date was his sophomore season, which was shortened by injury, but he still managed 29 points in 51 games for a 47-point pace, which was a slight improvement over his rookie year, but showed enough flashes of promise that we were like, okay, he can keep building on it. But then the former first overall pick missed all of the following season due to injury and then was underwhelming big time in his return to the lineup when Fabry played barely 
12 and a half minutes a night while doing nothing of consequence in his last full year in St. Louis. The thing is, he goes from St. Louis, where he's been forever seeking a top six role, to Detroit, who are forever seeking players to fill out their top six. So maybe we have a match here. You know, Elon, this kind of reminds me of when another Blues pick, second rounder, Ty Ratty, couldn't crack the Blues lineup and ended up playing some games with Carolina. We were like, okay, finally, he's going to get his shot, a team that's going to use him the way we want to see him used, uh, you know, broken free from uh, the bottom six in St. Louis. And then uh, Ratty got more minutes than ever before in Carolina, but only picked up two points in five games before that experiment ended. And then we know the rest of the story. He went to Edmonton, couldn't stick there. I'm very curious to see if Fabry can bring Break that mold. If he can jump on this new opportunity in Detroit, he's still just 23 years old, certainly has some raw talent to work with, and I think he's worth a speculative ad, but about his long-term possibilities in Detroit, definitely need to see more from him. We've seen so little of him in his career, especially since his sophomore season, what, like two, three years ago now, uh, that I'm not sure who he is as a player and if he still carries that promise we thought he did after he was drafted 21st overall back in, oh, I want to say 2014. Uh, He only saw 13 minutes in his Detroit debut. We'll see what happens. Well, I guess we can know what happened in today's game, Elon. You mentioned how much he scored... Yeah, he had an assist. He played 15 and a half minutes. He was again on the top power play. So good deployment. And yeah, I feel like everything you're saying makes sense. And you just have to kind of wait and see. But obviously, if you have him in a dynasty league, one of these super deep like leagues where like everyone in the league is owned, Fabry's value has jumped tremendously because he's gone from being a nobody to now, you know, a top six, top power play kind of guy. And for this season, yeah, I think that you probably want to own him in a lot of leagues. And, and like you said, Brian, just don't get too attached. We'll see what happens. We'll see if he gets sick. But obviously, this is a guy with talent. Steve Eiserman is taking a chance on him. And I'm really hoping it'll work out because I felt really bad for Fabry over the years as he kept on getting injured right before he was about to get going. So next in the discussion of interesting line combinations, listeners want to try to guess, this is a fun game, who is the Habs' leading scorer after yesterday's 3-2 win over the Kings? And no, it is not Brendan Gallagher. It's not Thomas Tatar. It's not Max Domi. It's not Shea Weber. It is now Jonathan Druin, who picked up two assists to bring him to 15 points in 17 games. Those are Kucherov numbers, Brian. Awesome bounce back for Jonathan Druin, as he was a free agent at the end of last season in most of the leagues that I was in. Yesterday, he saw arguably an improvement in his deployment as he was bumped to the top line. Tatar got bumped down, and Druin was playing with Deneau and Gallagher, so things just keep getting better and better for Jonathan Druin. Apparently, Tatar was being punished for taking too many penalties. He was put on the line with Suzuki and Lekkonen. And hey, Tatar turned a lemon into an apple as he assisted on a Nate Thompson goal in the first period and ended the game with zero pims. So who knows if maybe Tatar goes back on that line. Either way, Druen is doing just fine. What are you thinking about Jonathan Druen at this point, Brian? Like He's pacing for 72 points, which would crush his career high of 53. Are we finally seeing the superstar Druen that the Habs paid Sergachev for to acquire? Or is now just a prime sell-high time because he could very easily repeat what he did last year, fall to the bottom six, and be useless in most fantasy leagues when it matters most. Well, you know, I generally love anyone playing with Deneau and Gallagher, right? So that's a good start for Jonathan Duran. Well, we haven't seen any huge improvements in Duran's shot rates. His expected goals 
are higher than ever. That's worth something, but not enough to justify Durant having scored on almost 25% of his shots at five on five, which is what's helped him to seven goals so early in the year. And that's a lot for Jonathan Durant. It's almost half as many as the 18 goals he scored in all of last season. And it's more than half the 13 goals he scored the year before, which was his first as a Montreal Canadian. Durant's also picked up a point on all four power play goals scored while he's on the ice going into today's game. And you look at the other variance markers, I think it's so high time if you can swing it for Jonathan Duran. If you can get about 60 points in return, like that's what I could see Duran managing uh, the rest of the way. But I wouldn't see him much further above that, if at all. So I don't think we're seeing like a new, a brand new Jonathan Duran. Like maybe we're seeing him move from a 50 to 55 point player to a 55, 60 point player, but he's still a ways away from the 70 point star that he seems to be on pace for at this early stage of the year. Okay, fair enough. I got excited because we were expecting him to be so... Remember when he got sent to the minors and it was like such a travesty yeah. over in Tampa? So he must be happy now to finally be producing it. I hope for his sake that he keeps this up. But yeah, it makes sense that maybe it won't happen. If again, the, the PDO Corsi that you look into, if it doesn't tell you that he's going to be able to do it, usually that turns out to be correct. So that's a good predictive tool that you use. That's why I love having you on the show, Brian, to keep me from getting too excited, even though sometimes I can't help myself. Uh, interesting shift over in Columbus as Oliver Bjorkstrand has bumped Cam Atkins from the top line to play with Dubois and Nyquist. Atkinson was playing with Felino and Texier yesterday in the 4-2 loss to Colorado, while we had uh, Josh Anderson, Boone Jenner, and Sonny Milano making up the third line. Then, Brian, your favorite, uh, Wenberg over on line four. So I think we could say we're done with Alex Wenberg. He did get a decent amount of ice time for what it's worth. But okay, let's talk about Bjorkstrand. He didn't get a point yesterday, but he did take four shots. That was his fifth straight game with four or more shots. He's had fours and fives. He did also have... Two one-goal, one-assist games in that five-game span. So give him four points in his last five and 23 shots on goal. Playing on the top line. Brian, is it time to start taking Oliver Bjorkstrand seriously again now that he's getting this great deployment and shooting a ton? He's still only 6% owned in the Kakupful, only 2% owned in Yahoo overall. So pretty much everyone listening to this has Bjorkstrand available in their league. Is he someone on your radar, someone that people should be adding? You know how much I love shots, so he's definitely jumping out to me right now. You should definitely start looking at Oliver Bjorkstrand. We don't know how long he lasts on the top line. And Columbus doesn't have a great schedule next week. But if you're looking for a scorer and some shots, it looks like Bjorkstrand is getting a big opportunity here as the Blue Jackets try to find some configuration that allows them to have a moderately, evenly distributed threatening forward group, uh, which is why he's in Atkinson's place, which we don't know if it'll last, right? But while he's there, I want him on my roster. Okay, yeah, and of course, with Bjorkstrand on the top line, that means Cam Atkinson not in as good a spot, I guess. Uh, it's hard to tell people to be too concerned about Cam Atkinson since he did assist on a Wawrenski goal yesterday, his second assist in as many games. Still, Atkinson only at 9 points in 17 games on the season. That's a sad 43-point pace, well off from his 69 points from last year. We both projected 60 points for Atkinson in the Almanac, though that was assuming he was going to be a lock to be on the top line with Dubois all season. Brian, if you could have a redo right now, would you be bringing your Atkinson projection down? Oh, okay. No, I don't think I would. Uh, you know, Cam Atkinson has yet to score a goal at five on five this year, which is very rough for a guy who has scored 35 and 41 goals in two of the last three seasons. Atkinson's expected goals are down a bit, but not enough to justify him having no goals on 42 shots. 
at five on five. His expected goals numbers say he should have three goals by now, and Atkinson's career shooting percentage says he should have four goals by now. Either one would be enough to get him up above a 55-point pace and close to 60. Then you add in a career-low IPP, an on-ice shooting percentage just above 5%, and you've got yourself a solid buy-low candidate in Cam Atkinson. I don't love that he's lost over a minute and a half at 5-on-5 per night or his current deployment situation at 5-on-5, but I think Atkinson has been good enough without slipping in his own numbers despite this weaker deployment situation to still... uh, lose like I think he still merits our belief in him so no I don't think I would redo my projection on Atkinson I think 55 points is probably the most reasonable expectation uh, at this point for the rest of the season but Atkinson's numbers are still there to suggest 60 is within reach Okay, yeah. So I agree with you. If I could redo it, I'd go down to 55, but I still like him. I'm not saying drop Atkinson for Bjorkstrand, though maybe you do want to pick up Bjorkstrand as an insurance policy just in case. Uh, the one more interesting line combination here. Over at LA, we've got another guy, just like Atkinson, known for throwing pucks on net in a nice line one role for the first time in forever. Tyler Toffoli has been playing on the top line with Andre Kopitar and Jeff Carter. Uh, so no points yesterday for Toffoli versus the Habs, but he does have three points in his last four games. And that's not too shabby to go along with top line deployment. Toffoli is 0% owned in the couple, and for good reason, but I'm surprised. Jeff Carter's 83% owned, and I feel like both of them are basically the same to me. Like, is, Brian, is Toffoli on your radar at all while he's on the top line? Do you think he's worth a look in a deeper league? And also, why is Jeff Carter 83% owned when he's pointless in four, and he has six points in 17 games on the season? Like I said, I feel like maybe they should meet in the middle. Maybe they should both be around 30-40% to 40% owned. That would make more sense to me for couple ownership for these two guys, but it is nice whenever you have have someone playing with Andre Kopitar, of course. Toffoli is on my radar. It's great that he's playing with Kopitar at the moment. I think the reason Carter is owned by more people is that he takes more shots and was a 65-plus point player for so many years in a row as recently as two seasons ago. As recently as 2017-18, while Toffoli has never been much more than a mid-40 point kind of guy most of his career, sometimes getting into the mid-50s. But I agree that Toffoli and Carter should be closer in ownership for as long as Toffoli's on the top line with Kopitar. And as long as that lasts, I would definitely prefer him to Jeff Carter. Right. And of course, that also means Dustin Brown's still not on the top line, so still not terribly interesting. Though he hasn't been doing so bad lately, but I like Brown a lot more when he's playing with Kopitar, of course. So those are the line combinations. Let's end the show, Brian, with a bit of a lightning round, some hot streaks and cold streaks. I want to start in San Jose, where Tomas Hurdle is scorching. His goal yesterday versus Nashville extended his point streak to three games, brought him to 18 points in 18 games on the season. And finally, with Hurdle producing like crazy, his line mate Timo Meyer has finally woken up with a three-game point streak of his own with five points in that span. So I guess the buy low window on Meyer is closed now. You and I both got him in our PHL league. So good for us getting Timo Meyer on the cheap. But Brian, what about Tomas Hurdle? I recall in the Almanac, you had reasons to believe that a 79 point pace from last season wasn't going to be for real. You didn't expect him to be able to repeat it. You projected him down at 70 points. Are you seeing anything in his numbers so far to convince you otherwise? Because if not then Hurdle's got to be a prime sell-high candidate, right? Or is he actually a point-per-game guy and he's just showing an increase in his abilities than what we expected, kind of like what you said about Alex Barkov earlier in the show? My cautionary take on Tomas Hurdle was that he was scoring more goals than he should have been, thanks to a 20% shooting percentage in all situations. And the example I gave for why I was being cautious about Hurdle going into the season is that in 1819, he took a single shot more than he had taken in 1718, but he scored 13 more goals 
So it's like, well, that doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense. But, uh, you know, so far this year with Hurdle, we've seen some of that expected regression happen. But he's continued to see a little more shooting luck than expected in some niche situations, like on the penalty kill against an empty net. And it even strengths situations that aren't actually five on five. So we're still seeing a shooting percentage that might be a little high for Hurdle. That said... I think his point pace is actually for real and that he is legit one of the most threatening shooters in the league. That's backed up by his expected goals where he ranks third in the league in all situations expected goals total behind only Alex Ovechkin and teammate Evander Kane and one spot ahead of guess who Brady Kachuk. How about that? Uh, Hurdle has also been assisting on more goals than he used to, and I'm not sure that's going to go away. So I'm not selling high on Tomas Hurdle. I'm calling my projection wrong instead and thinking that he can beat my 70-point projection by as many as 10 points. Yeah, so great news for me because I have Hurdle on my Kakupful team. He's helped me to another win this week. So I'm really happy that I think I did listen to you. I got him pretty cheap in the auction draft. But yeah, he's doing well. Like I said, Timo Meyer on his line also doing well. So that's good news in San Jose. Also, Martin Jones had a rare good game uh, this, in the last game that they played. So who knows? Maybe things are turning around. Uh, maybe they're being helped by the emergence or I guess arrival of a guy named Radim Simek or Shimek, I believe is the way you pronounce his name. He was called up by the Sharks recently. He's been playing on a pairing with Brent Burns, has a goal in three games so far, but more notably has 12 hits and 11 blocks in those three games. So, Brian, for people in their bangers and mash leagues, are we looking at a new bangers league mainstay that needs to be added moving forward, like basically another Radko Gudas in Radim Shimek? Yeah, I think that's what we are looking at. This guy is getting a lot of minutes, and I think the reason, well, I think there's two reasons he was called up. The first reason is that last year when Shimek was called up, it sparked a little resurgence by the San Jose Sharks. They had not been doing well at a point last season when he finally got to make his debut. And uh, once he came in, he seemed to give them a little more energy, plays a a hard-hitting game, and it it seemed to be working for the Sharks. And since Shemek has come to play for San Jose this year so far, three wins in a row, and they were in pretty rough shape. Right? So good for Radim Shimek to be this team's spark plug. One other thing that he does for them, and maybe a reason why they're winning more games, is that he helps lighten the load off of Brent Burns and Eric Carlson, who are both playing insane minutes. So the fact that they both ranked so high in the NHL amongst all players in time on ice, when you normally don't see two players from the same team doing that, usually have like one defensive workhorse, and then the rest of the core shares that load— On this team, it's like Brent Burns is the big workhorse, and then Eric Carlson takes on the rest of the load, and then the other four defensemen play, like, here and there. So what Radim Shimek does is he helps keep Brent Burns and Eric Carlson from playing too many minutes, offering another defensive option that the Sharks can turn to for help, and uh, another option that fantasy owners can turn to for some great category filling. As you said, Elon, great hit numbers, great blocks numbers. He's got five shots over three games. Four of those came in one single game against Minnesota, though. Who doesn't take four shots against Hmm. Minnesota? Uh, But he's a great guy to own in deeper leagues that count peripherals. Yeah, uh, it's very rare that you could find someone available that is good for potentially five hits or five blocks in a game. So he could help you in both of those categories. If you've missed him, if you're too late, we actually were drooling over his hits and blocks numbers on Wednesday's patron cast. So uh, if you were listening to that, you might have had a chance to get him now. I feel like he must be gone in a lot of bangers leagues. In the couple he's still owned because we have like 0.25 for hit, 0.5 for a block. Not 
enough to make him fully relevant, but in your categories leagues where those are two of like seven or eight skater categories, I feel like he might be approaching must-own territory. Uh, next, let's go to the Rangers. Anthony D'Angelo with another power play assist today. I really hope yeah, our listeners listen to us when we told him to grab him last week. Maybe it was even the week before. He's been getting good power play time for a while now, and he is producing. Uh, and I wonder, Brian, if we need to start making the same strong ad recommendation on Adam Fox, whose power play assist today extended his point streak to four games. Fox uh, getting similar deployment as D'Angelo, uh, at least in terms of the power play, and he's producing. So maybe he's becoming a must-own in most leagues while we wait for things to shake out on the Rangers. Maybe Zibanejad coming back will cause another line shakeup. Maybe the power play will change up again. Maybe Jacob Truba will get another chance. Though right now, I wonder also if Jacob Truba is maybe just a snoozer, especially in leagues that don't value his peripherals. He's got one assist in his last nine games after another pointless outing today. So uh, yeah, I'm not super high on Truba, but I'm very high on D'Angelo and Adam Fox who are capitalizing on their power play opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Adam Fox is someone that you should probably have on your team if he's available, getting increased power play time, also throwing pucks on net going into today's games. He had 12 shots in his last four games. Jacob Truba is not someone, you know, you mentioned, uh, like maybe he's disappointing you. I wouldn't give up on him yet. If you're in a league, though, that doesn't value his peripherals and you drafted him in hopes that he'd be like a 55, 60 point player, maybe then it's time to rethink exactly what value he offers you. But I think Chupa can still fall in like the 40, 45 point range. Uh, Also entirely possible, he just barely gets to 40 points if the Rangers continue to try anyone else in that top power play spot, which is unfortunate. It hasn't been the season we hoped for from Jacob Truba, who someone in the chat mentioned as a potential trade target for Kevin Shattenkirk. Who would you prefer? Well, are we counting hits and blocks or no? Yeah. Yeah, with hits and blocks, maybe you go with Truba because he has that great floor that he's at least helping you there. And points only, I think give me Shattenkirk at this point and tell me if I'm being, like, again, like a caricature of myself just always going for who's hot now. But, like, Shattenkirk is getting points. Truba, again, just like P.K. Subban, not even the second choice for power play. In, in today's game, uh, Fox played four minutes and 12 seconds on the power play, D'Angelo three minutes, and then Truba less than two minutes. So it's like even if Fox or D'Angelo gets injured, it doesn't seem like Truba is the second choice. So really hard to bank on him for a ton of points. I really liked what he did last year in Winnipeg. Doesn't seem like that's happening. Ben is saying Truba for sure greater than Shattenkirk, so maybe I'll look down. But I feel like Shattenkirk's probably a good bet for 40, 45 points. And Truba, eh, I don't know, maybe more like 35. And Brian, you used to hate Truba, right? You used to think that Truba was nothing more than a 35-point guy. Boy, I used to hate Truba. <laughs> I just didn't think that he was built to be an offensive defenseman, that he would never threaten to take the top power play in Winnipeg away from Dustin Bufflin, which he did briefly. And I did eventually, once I saw enough of him in an offensive role, get on board and say, yeah, he, he's a really good offensive defenseman. Like, he can do both the both sides, offense and defense, but uh, what do you want from me now to say, I like, I never hated him. Okay, fair enough. But so what's your answer? Ben and Andy uh, McFarlane in the chat, they're both saying they'd prefer Truba over Shattenkirk, even if this was only points only. Where, are you going to go with the, the listeners here or are you going to go with me? Listeners, Truba. 
Fair enough. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I'm not like so strong. I feel like they're probably pretty even actually at this point. And Shattenkirk is the currently on the hot run, so he's the one maybe I would lean to. Uh, another defenseman on a hot run is Jacob Chikrin, who has scored in two straight games, has 14 shots over his last three. So that's an amazing shot count for a defenseman over in Arizona. Weirdly, Chikrin has barely any hits or blocks over these last couple of games. So I guess like he could only either be taking shots and scoring or be hitting and blocking. He can't do both at the same time. If he could ever put that together, this could be a really valuable guy to own in fantasy. Arizona is actually another of the rare teams playing four times next week. So if you need D, Chikrin should definitely be worth a look, right? And of course, uh, you've got Dvorak, Schmaltz, Garland, all players to look at uh, next week as well if you want games played. Because again, I'm saying Arizona has a good schedule, but we've talked about them recently. So Ryan, what are your thoughts on Jacob Chikrin? Great stream option for this week, especially with Arizona's schedule. There aren't a lot of teams this week who have a schedule that let you get extra games out of their players. Ottawa's one, Arizona's another. Elon, there's a third. Maybe you can yeah. name them by the time I'm done this. And I can I'm name set- it right now. Okay. It's Washington. Okay. <laughs> wow. That's great. Uh, that was a really smooth interaction between you and I there. Anyway, I'm sad I didn't get Shikrin and Kukupful this week because he was probably one of the better streamer options. So I did get Nicholas Schmaltz. Yeah, good for you. And by the way, Shikrin might be uh, taking over on the top power play on Arizona. Maybe it's too soon to tell, but he was getting more power play time than Oliver Ekman Larson in the Coyotes' last game. So maybe more than a stream. Get him for the stream next week, and then you could always drop him at the end of the week. But maybe you'll decide not to drop him, kind of like a D'Angelo, who a lot of people streamed in for a good New York schedule and now are holding on for dear life, just like myself. Uh, uh, another hot streak I wanted to bring up over in Minnesota. This guy's been all over the place, but right now Eric Stahl has been going wild. Is that good? That's kind of love it. Obviously, you love it. Yeah, it's a good dad joke for sure. But yeah, Stahl, after that slow start, he's already up to 14 points in 17 games as he has 13 in his last 10. Just an insane run for Stahl playing on a line with Zucker and Matt Zuccarello. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, what, what are we going to say about Eric Stahl? Probably sell high, I'd imagine. But also, you're loving it if you picked him out of free agency, just like I happened to do in the couple recently. Another reason why I'm hanging in there, even with my Tarasenko injury. Yeah, also, if you drop $20 of fab like Short Shift's host Louis Ezekiel did, uh, you're feeling really good about Eric Stahl being scorching hot right now. 13 points in his last 10 games. Six of them have been goals on 18 shots. That's 18 shots in 10 games. So I am not buying that this can last for Stahl, especially when I see his expected goals down at a career low market five on five. He's getting uh, just half an expected goal per 60 minutes compared to almost 80% of an expected goal per 60 minutes in the last two years. I would love to see what you can get for him in a trade if you own him. Like you could try and convince someone, look, Eric Stahl's back. You need a center. Perfect. I don't need him. I don't need a center. So if you are able to trade Eric Stahl and sell high on this little run he's on, tweet us. I'd love to know what you got back. Yeah, but if he's available in free agency, I would grab him. Like, I, yeah. I, maybe he won't stay this hot, but you definitely want to grab someone on the top line, top power play doing well. Like, why not, right? And Minnesota's actually scoring some goals now, so this isn't, like, a terrible team to own anyone on. They finally started to turn things around, and he's not the only one, right? Like, Zuccarello, even, Brian, you were saying Zach Parise doing something for you. Kevin Fiala's even doing something. I thought he was gone forever. 
Yeah, I mean, I was someone who was saying to pick up Eric Stahl even when he wasn't doing anything because he was top line, top power play. But now that he is, this is a great chance to try and not have to own Eric Stahl the rest of the way just because he's top line, top power play. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So yeah, different ways to look at it. Uh, next, I wanted to go to Chicago, where somehow Duncan Keith is back to being the top power play defenseman after he had been bumped last year for Gustafsson. Then at some point, Gustafsson was struggling. They brought up Adam Boakvist. I thought maybe he'd have a chance, but no, like Boakvist barely plays. He was actually scratched yesterday. He did play today, but didn't do anything in the win over Toronto. Uh, but yeah, Duncan Keith, four points in five games going into today. And again, another game where he led the team in both uh, regular ice time and power play time. So probably, well, we've already said it's time to forget about Eric Gustafsson. I'm not interested in him at all now that he's not getting that primo deploymento that Duncan Keith is getting. So yeah, everyone should probably be looking at adding Duncan Keith if they want the top power play guy in Chicago, a team that's also finally scoring some goals. Patrick Kane, Another, like two goals, one assist today. Like I have him in, in one of my leagues, and yeah, I held on through. It wasn't even such a rough time, but you know, it was like Kucherov type of rough time. Like he was producing, but not as high as I expected him to. And now he's like paying big dividends with a hot run. And yeah, I'm curious to see if the Blackhawks will be able to keep this up moving forward. And it'll be interesting if Duncan Keith ends up helming that top power play, has one last run in him as like what is he a 35 year old, 36 year old at this point? Yeah, uh, he's old. And a lot of people thought he was done. And I've been here holding the candle saying he just needs the opportunity. And here he is with it. Thank you, Eric Gustafson, for stepping aside the way I wish you would have last season. And then I believed in you. Uh, so it's a whirlwind happening in Chicago. We're back to the days of Duncan Keith being their best offensive defenseman. You got to add him while this is happening. Yeah, and then a guy that is also kind of old but not doing as well right now, even though he's getting good deployment, is Paul Stasny, who we I was like so sad about losing out on him when I dropped him in the couple in like the first week when he was on the third line. He's been on the second line playing with Mark Stone, uh, but not doing anything. He's pointless in five going into today, and the Golden Knights lost to Detroit three to two. Good for the Red Wings, by the way. And another pointless game for Paul Stasny. He played like 19 minutes and 55 seconds. He got good power play time. Just Nothing is happening for him. Are we looking at snoozer status on Paul Stasny? Do people need to be moving on? Or do you think it's just a matter of time before he starts getting points again from his spot on the second line? I think currently he's a snoozer. And most leagues where people ask us about Paul Stasny, if they should drop him or trade him or whatever, and we ask them for their free agents... Uh, usually the free agents are a little more compelling, uh, but I believe in Paul Stasny the way I believe in Nino Niederreiter. He has too many percentages going the wrong way for him to stay this bad for a long time, especially while he's in a great deployment situation. Uh, so in a deep league, I would actually hold Paul Stasny. In a shallower league, I'd call him a snoozer, but keep him very close on my watch list because there is going to be a moment where he starts scoring again. He's doing too many things right for him to stay in a funk for the rest of the season. And then, Brian, I want to end the show over in Edmonton, where I saw that Alex Chiasson got a power play point, and that got me wondering, wait, has James Neal been bumped from the top power play? And now I'm looking at their power play today. This game's only one period in. Edmonton's winning over Anaheim 2-1 to one at the moment. And they had one power play, looks for only like 26 seconds, and it was Dreisaitl, Chiasson, McDavid, Clefbaum, and, and Darnell Nurse. So it looks like, yeah, I... I 
bottom line, James Neal not on the top power play, at least today. And I think in another game, he was bumped for a little bit for Alex Chiasan. So that's not great news for James Neal, who had that great run, but it was all on the power play. Now he's like on the second line. You know, he's not on a great line. Even if he plays with Ryan Nugent Hopkins, he hasn't been doing much of anything at even strength. The one saving grace for James Neal was that great power play deployment, kind of like a Victor Olafson type of situation. If I mean, something to watch. I'm like literally telling you one period into the game, but I would check afterwards when you listen to the show and see how much power play time James Neal ended up getting in this game versus the Ducks. And yeah, he might be approaching drop territory. If he's not on the top power play, I have no interest in James Neal. Me neither. Or Alex Chieson. Like, I, these are just guys that are really frustrating to own, having tried streaming, you know, whoever ends up playing on the top power play or top line in Edmonton over the last few years. It never pans, or it rarely pans out on a consistent enough basis. It usually works out just well enough to keep you from dropping the guy, but not to really be getting the most out of that roster spot. So I'm not rushing for James Neal. I'm also not rushing for Alex Chieson, or should I say Chieson? He's such a boring guy to own. Yeah, I guess you just wanted to bring him up specifically so that you could make that fun play on words. Yeah, Chieson, I'm not interested in. Like, James Neal was exciting, right? He was owned in almost all leagues because he went on that great run. He still has 14 points in 19 games. Definitely seems like a sell-high candidate if you can, though probably not. I tried to sell high on him last week, and I didn't get any bites. So I doubt you'll be able to unless someone... Because who looks at just the season-long point total? Someone's going to look and see only one goal in his last five games. Let's see if he could do anything against Anaheim. I don't have high hopes if he's not going to be on the top power play. And with that, Brian, actually, no, there was a question in the chat. How about we do one quick chat question before we end the show? I think someone wanted us to bring up Rasmus Dahlin, who has slowed down a bit after his hot start. So this is on the fly. And uh, please make yourself known again in the chat so I can give you credit for this question because I don't remember who it was. But it I definitely think it was wasn't... Nick. Okay, Nick, thank you so much for your question because, yeah, Dahlin, after this amazing start, he now has only 12 points in 17 games on the season. And I'm seeing, yeah, two assists in his last seven games. I guess his Buffalo hasn't been scoring as much. Like, he's still getting that great deployment. His shots are down. Uh, his no blocks. I guess he wasn't ever getting many blocks. But yeah, right now, uh, Dahlin not helping too much. So maybe he's having some growing pains in his age 19 season over in Buffalo right now. In Buffalo, it like this is a Buffalo-wide problem. Buffalo has just won one game of their last seven, and in their last seven, they've scored just 12 goals. They've been shut out once, they've scored one goal once, and they've scored two goals four times. So things are just not going so great for Buffalo right now. Uh, and I think that's the reason that Dahlin isn't scoring at the rate he was. Buffalo as a team is shooting under 6%. In this stretch, which is not good and not sustainable. Uh, it's been an unfortunate team-wide run, but if anything, this is just a great chance to try and wrestle Rasmus Dahlin out of his current owner's hands and say, hey, uh, doesn't he suck? Buffalo yeah. sucks. They had like that really great, like you look at Dahlin's numbers, outside the first four games, there is nothing to write home about at all. He hasn't even scored a point in consecutive games since the first four games of the season. So maybe this is a great time to try and convince someone to let him go. Yeah, well, he's definitely someone that I would be willing to trade Kevin Shattenkirk for if you could pull that <laughs> off. Like, obviously, you're not going to pull that off in a keeper league, but I don't know, in a one-year league, you know, with maybe some clown GMs, you never know what you can pull off. So yeah, Rasmus Dahlin, definitely a good buy-low candidate at this time. I can't 
consider him someone that I'm worried about when he has so much talent and he's getting this great deployment. I think it's got to be just a matter of time. Uh, okay, so with that, Brian, another show in the books. This has been a blast going through the league. I hope that we've come up with some good players to suggest for people to add. And I don't know how much we've moved the needle in terms of recommending that people drop players because Brian is still kind of into the Nino Niederriders and the, uh, who else, Jamie Benz of the world. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see if Brian will change his mind in the future. But clearly these are guys we're worried about and we do have some interesting options you can pick up including like a Robbie Fabry like we said so really fun show would love to get your feedback on shows like this like if you could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson we'd love to hear like which players you happen to add or drop based on what we said or who you agree or disagree about we always love having some friendly debates over on Twitter or you could just throw us your advice questions and we're answering pretty much everything that you throw at us over at Keeping Carlson also if you could be so kind as to go to Apple Music as it's called now give us that five star review view with a nice comment it's like such a like a nice thing you could do for us that hopefully doesn't cost you much in terms of your time or effort and it really makes a difference we've been actually having some people like uh not saying the the nicest thing so i don't know it, not, but it's fine everyone's entitled to their opinion but if you're someone who's you know two hours into the show that must mean you like it a little bit so we would love to have some uh nice words over on itunes maybe we should come up with brian something to try to encourage people to do that like we'll read the reviews you want to do that should we just say right now we're going to read this week's reviews on the next show how about write in the review if you want us to read it. Ask us an advice question in the review, and then we'll answer it on the show. How about that? that that's right. Off the top of my head, how about that to try to convince people? Is that okay, Brian? Done. Done. Okay, ask us an advice question in your five-star Apple Music review. We will answer it on the next show. Uh, we just have to remember to check. Uh, also, of course, if you're really into the show, now's a great time to become a patron of Keeping Carlson because we are increasing our patron perks. You already get access to the Facebook group where you have myself, Brian, Ben, Lewis there all the time answering advice questions as well as all the other great patrons to help you out. Uh, you also get our monthly patron cast. You're going to get this new Saturday morning uh, advice show where you can talk about your Saturday lineups or just anything with Ben. And Lewis. Uh, so check it out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. You're basically buying Brian or I a beer uh, once a month for $5, and we're giving you a ton of other perks also. So you can check it all out. Again, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Uh, so with that, Brian, how about we cue that outro music, and then you could go ahead and read us the credits. All right. You know, I didn't, I haven't been checking our reviews. I'm a little sad that uh, people aren't enjoying the show. You can always, like, write us directly at Keeping Carlson. Let us know if you're not. Uh, I mean, I think that. Yeah, the people who don't like it, I don't think, are listening to this part of the show, unfortunately. I think they turned it off like a couple minutes in and they said that our voices are annoying. <laughs> okay, so next time we need to do this at the start of the show. Anyway, thank you to all you wonderful people who do support us. Uh, we really appreciate it. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest ones, Matthew, Eric, TJ, Nick. Thank you so much for your support. This episode was researched with help from Dabra Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Goalies, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! Great job, as always, Brian. I'm looking forward to talking to you next Sunday, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what Ben and Lewis have in their first short shift episode on Wednesday. So you, if you're listening to this, you don't have to do anything to get it. It's just going to drop in your feed, and I think you're really going to like it. So, uh, until then, what should people do, Brian? Uh, let me think first. Oh, yeah. They should keep on keeping Carl's son. Bye-bye.